This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, the listener, by heading on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. There you can become a patron and support the show as I continue to grow, keep the website up to date, um, keep you informed with everything that I'm doing right now, and uh, eventually get a facelift for the website. Um, every little bit helps, helps keep the lights on, all that good stuff. So again, just head on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer and uh, become a patron today. Um, also check out chasethomaspodcast.com. It's uh, my site where you can learn a little about me, uh, get a, a direct link to every single episode, um, all that good stuff. You can also read all of my work. I'm basically writing there every day. Um, the schedule that I have right now for uh, my writing on the site is on Sundays. I'm doing an ATL sports column, um, kind of traditional in that sense, depending on what's going on in Atlanta sports that week on Mondays. I am doing a 30 things on the NBA um, that I'm excited about because the NBA is coming back soon. Uh, Tuesdays, I'm doing a Monday Night Raw recap and review. Uh, Wednesday, I am doing a SmackDown Live uh, review. On Thursdays, I am doing a Throwback Thursday, so I'll watch a game because I like watching old highlights. I like watching like 1998 Minnesota Vikings versus like the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, things like that where Randy Moss went off. Um, so I'm going back watching old games uh, and I will be writing about them as if they are happened right now and all that good stuff. On Fridays, I'm doing a nobody asked mailbag where I uh, just, I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on sports and I can turn them into questions and uh, I'm going to write about them in a nobody asked mailbag. So you can find that on Fridays on Saturdays. It's um, it's just a Saturday morning thought. So things I, would, I thought about during the week, that I just want to write about and uh, mixed in with all of that, uh, just other kinds of articles like when I wrote about Bruno Caboclo and why it's interesting that the Houston Rockets are taking a chance on it more. Jimmy Butler and his rumored flirtation with uh, the Lakers and why um, he might be a better fit for uh, Kawhi Leonard instead of LeBron James and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, other articles um, spread out throughout the week all that good stuff, but you can find all of that by going to chase Uh, don't forget. There's a lot of ways you can listen. Spotify is a popular one now, so you can find the chase Thomas podcast on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google play, uh, everything else that you could possibly think of, uh, cast box, um, just uh, all kinds of great stuff. So Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, of course, uh, but yeah, just search Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, uh, it'd be great if you could leave the show a reading and a review. Um, it's just, it's important uh, with the way iTunes works. So it'll help other people find the show, help the show continue to grow. Um, so that'd be great. So if you, uh, if you are an uh, Apple Podcast listener, it would be great if you could leave a rating and a review uh, for the show. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. 
and uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're recording tonight's episode on a Wednesday, but you're hearing this on a Thursday because Jason Hershorn is here. And the NFL is not here yet. We're still a week away, but there's a lot of cool stuff in the NFL happening. And like as we're recording, like Teddy Bridgewater is now a member of the New Orleans Saints. We have Aaron Rodgers getting paid, a team that uh, (laughs) it's just the the rich get richer and uh, he gets over 100 million guaranteed. So that's cool. But Jason is here um, to talk about all that. Jason, good evening. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. But besides all those things, really has not been a very busy day in the NFL. No, no, not a lot going on. Um, I will say someone sent me the link to the Teddy Bridgewater um, story of him getting traded and like saying goodbye to people on the bus and like him just and you knew that there was just gonna be all sorts of memes that were gonna pop up right after that story came out. I thought it was a joke. I, I did not realize until I actually read the whole story outside of the headline that this is something that actually happened. And it was a really um, funny, awkward thing. Um, but yeah, Teddy Bridgewater no longer a New York Jet and is now in Sean Payton's system and he can sit behind Drew Brees for a year. It really seems unfair on some level that he has to meet the same fate as Lane Kiffin, just just being taken off the team transport, told that he's not part of the organization anymore and sent on his way. But from a you know, from a career standpoint, this may not actually be that bad of a move for Teddy Bridgewater. It's a one year deal, so he already has some leverage with the team that clearly likes him. And Drew Brees, despite seemingly ageless he's not going to play forever this might actually be a long-term home for him do you think that's what new orleans has in mind or they're just like we can't have Taysom hill as our backup quarterback you would think in tom savage <laughs> we don't even have to talk too much about tom savage at this point but i think it's a little bit of both breeze has not missed a ton of time but you cannot totally discount the possibility as he turns 40, that he is going to be able to play all 16 games or he's going to miss some time rather than playing all 16 games. So having a competent backup and Bridgewater is actually really more than just a backup. We haven't seen him play in a starter's capacity uh, capacity since the 2015 season, but you know he played at a Pro Bowl level. I, I know that doesn't mean as much as it used to, but he was really good that year. And if that's a guy you can bring in to be a high quality backup with real potential to replace Breeze long-term when Breeze does eventually retire, it it does kind of make some sense. I'm not sure that the Saints were in position to make a deal like the one they made for him, but in a vacuum, I'm more on board with it. They're using a lot of early picks on Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Davenport, the guy from UT San Antonio that that was pretty um, controversial at the time. What's his name? Is it Marcus Davenport? Marcus Marcus Davenport, yeah. high upside but a lot of Deion Jordan vibes it seems like around him but uh I don't know I think the Saints are they're interesting at least they're operating in a very different way than it seems like a lot of other NFL teams are operating but uh I don't know I guess this also kind of shows that the market for Teddy Bridgewater um was not great right like the fact that the Saints are the one they ended up trading him to um just for a third round pick and I'm sure they would have loved to get a second or um I mean, I don't think they're ever going to get a first for Teddy Bridgewater, but it it is interesting that this is what ended up happening here with Bridgewater because of just how well he was performing in the preseason for New York. But um, see, I actually think that it's a pretty good return on investment for Teddy Bridgewater because even though he did play very well in the preseason, 
it is the preseason. You're talking about defenses mm-hmm. they are not scheming for your team specifically. And again, this is someone with a very troubling injury history. So to be able to sign a guy and in a matter of months with no regular season games played, turn him into a day two pick. I mean, that's pretty tremendous turnaround on your very meager investment because it's not like the Jets threw a lot of money at Bridgewater. He was going to be a guy who, if things broke a different way, they could have just cut him without any real consequence. So I, I think for the Jets, this is a slam dunk move. And for the Saints, you know, they're, they're clearly on some level all in right now. Bridgewater could be a part of their future, but it is protecting their present too because as you brought up Marcus Davenport, they traded a lot to get him. To trade essentially... Two first, essentially, trade two first-round picks for a defensive lineman, one that you expect to be a pass rusher for. You you basically expect him to be Julius Peppers and basically mm-hmm. expect that to happen more or less right away. And, you know, Davenport has been hurt, so we can't really say whether or not that's feasible at this point. But coming from UTSA, a very small program, a guy who, with a lot of physical upside, is still going to need time to develop, we think— I don't know that they're going to get the proper return on their investment, at least early on. And remember, this is this is not a young team, considering that, again, Drew Brees is turning 40. Several members of the offensive line are nearing 30 or over 30. They've had injury mm-hmm. issues. Uh, they're plenty of young parts, too. Um, Alvin Kamara. Being- ben Watson is their tight end somehow. I, I, I had to look it up to confirm that that was true, because I could have told, sworn that Ben Watson retired two years ago. But yeah, he, he's been retired. Yeah, for a while. But uh, he's still finding ways to keep getting them checks. Wasn't Josh Hill in the picture? And still is. Everything post Jimmy Graham has just uh, been a blur at tight end. But it turns out it doesn't really matter when you have Michael Thomas and uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, <laughs> Mark Ingram and uh, Drew Brees. It turns out that helps things. Yeah, and, and they better win this year or next year because it gets really ugly really fast afterwards. It's not just that at some point Drew Brees is going to retire. It's they will not have a lot of their draft capital going forward, and they're mm-hmm. already pretty cap-strapped. That will eventually improve when Brees is no longer on the books, but you know, you'd rather have Brees in the cap hit than neither of them. So this is a team that is playing for right now, and I think they certainly have a good chance. They're in a division that's challenging, but they have enough talent to overcome that. But the window is a very, very, very small one. And there's a lot of other contenders in the NFC. Well, it's just interesting that they kind of like I picked them to win the NFC South before last year. And uh, they were a team that obviously surprised a lot of people. And I like I don't think anybody saw Alvin Kamara being that good that quickly. But like um, they had one of the worst linebacking units in the NFL going into the year. But Manti Teo was good for them. And um, losing Nick Fairley, obviously not great. But um, they survived and the defense wasn't bad. And it turns out uh, Dennis Allen is a better defensive coordinator than Rob Ryan. And uh, things were, they were fine. Like they weren't great, but then they, I mean, they just, they nailed so many picks in last year's draft. It's amazing that they hit like they offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Like that's really hard to pull off. So like it turns out Jeff Ireland uh, joining the fold in uh, New Orleans was a big get for them. And it's worked out now um, when you're talking about the cash strap stuff and everything else, like the combination of Ireland and Loomis in that regard is a little concerning if I'm a Saints fan, but um, they're doing everything they can right now. And when you have this kind of group, it does seem like they're in win now mode with but that's what you should do when you have a 40-year-old quarterback um, who's just in the last year or two of his career. I mean, he's still playing an elite level. You still have an elite coach. Um, I, I don't know. I think I, I like what the Saints have done. And I do think it's interesting that all of our attention is 
uh, at the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they have a lot of depth, and they, they are even getting like Demonte Kazee breaking out this preseason. They don't really need more defensive back help, but they're going to have it. And if Duke Riley's their big miss, and that seems like the only one, you have Jack Crawford stepping up at D tackle uh, next to Grady Jarrett. Um, they're fine on defense and they're loaded on offense. And a lot of the questions are just like the coaching, like does Sark bounce back in year two? But like, they can, can, we, can we talk about Sark for a second? Because I feel like yes, the please. narrative on him has really shifted away from reality. It, it was not Kyle Shanahan. It was not close. And in that sense, the criticism is valid, but there's this temperament about the Falcons offense as though it was a bad unit last year. It was not historic like it was in 2016. It was still one of the 10 best offenses in the NFL. Maybe that's more because of the talent they have than Sarkeesian, but I don't think... So you're making the case for Sarkeesian right now. More of, I'm making the case that he's not the bottleneck that he has been made out to be. I, I feel like mm-hmm. he he's not special. I don't think he's adding anything to it. At least he did it in year one. But I don't think this offense is automatically going to see more regression because it's another year removed from the offensive guru that was Shil- or Kyle Shanahan. And if you consider it from that perspective, you look at the talent they have, that offensive line looks like it's, <clears throat> excuse me, looks like it's going to be at least as good as it was last year. And mm-hmm. Jake Matthews very quietly has become one of the most consistent left tackles in the NFL. Uh, yep. th- you have some weaknesses on the right side, specifically their guard. Which right re- guard's been a, since uh, Chester retired, it's been a question mark. Yeah. yeah, but by offensive line standards in the modern NFL, this is a pretty good unit and they have so many weapons. It's an offense that is built around quick passing and creating plays down the field with, with their you know, Julio Jones uh, maybe now with Calvin Ridley kind of taking the role of Taylor Gabriel, I, I don't think that there's anything about this offense that is going to be worse than last year unless they just happen to suffer injuries. And I do think the defense could put it all together this year. We've seen it in bits and pieces. We saw it during the final month of the season in 2016 and into the playoffs. We saw it at times in 2017. But I think this is the year where you get a more consistent, maybe not full season effort, but much closer to it. And if that's the case, I do think this is a team that that can compete for the NFC South title, because while the Saints have more talent on paper, we are relying on Drew Brees not to fall apart in his age 40 season. And we've seen this in the past with quarterbacks like Peyton Manning. It happens all at once. Generally, it's not a gradual decline. So even though Brees was still playing at a very high level in 2017, it's not out of the question that he turns into an old man overnight this year. I think that's why I like the Teddy stuff so much where for him, like if this does happen, like he's in a position where even though he's not starting right away, if like what you're saying, it just happens with Breeze this year, um, he can step in. But do, like, do you actually think that there, if there was an injury, that's different. But if Breeze yeah. is healthy, do you actually think that they are going to make the switch? Because that that's where I have a hard time seeing Sean Payton making the call. It, it's I mean, the Giants did it last year with uh, Eli and, uh, and they're running it back. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, and, and how did that work out for the head coach there? So not great yeah so i not um, that that's a reason of, but i i just feel like it's gonna be very hard for sean Payne, not just because of history but just because nah. if you pull drew Brees for teddy bridgewater in that hypothetical and it doesn't work out for you you're looking at a very different offseason than you would have otherwise and that's why i think coaches yeah, you just have to write it out yeah outside of injury or i mean they could just uh manipulate <laughs> the injury report and just being like uh De- drew Brees is dealing with so and so and then they put in teddy bridgewater so it's like so i i just think that's something they could do is they could play with uh 
the injury report. They could just be like, he's dealing with shoulder tightness or something like that, and then pull him or he can't, like, dead arm. I, I don't know. Like, there's something I feel like you could get around, but I, I get what you're saying, and I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't want it to happen because I like watching Drew Brees be good at football. Um, but it's also like, you know, there is a lot of, there's a, I, I don't know. I just, it kind of, it, the difference between the two is, it's fascinating. But it's also just like, I always thought Teddy made the most sense on the other New York team this year. Like when we were uh, speculating where could Teddy go and all that kind of stuff. And where does it give him the best opportunity to thrive? But it's like going with Pat Shermer in New York, I felt like was the, the best option. And like, it's still pretty surprising. They're running it back with Eli and hoping he works out because they took Saquon over a lot of intriguing quarterbacks in the other New York team um, are betting on Sam Darnold and um, Josh Allen, depending on what you feel about him. And it's, it's a very confusing long-term decision. You can make the argument that Saquon Barkley would help the team more in 2018. I don't think that part of it is controversial, but Eli Manning, not much younger than Drew Brees, the quarterback we just discussed. And Eli Manning hasn't played at a 2017 Drew Brees level at really any point in his career for, for a really extended period of time. So they're, rep- they're, they're relying on Eli Manning to not just turn back the clock, but really just fight off natural age regression. He's a quarterback that has taken a lot of hits behind a very mediocre offensive line, an offensive line that doesn't really look like it's going to be all that improved overall. Because while they did add Nate Solder and they drafted right. Will Hernandez, they also lost their two best offensive linemen for a year ago. So even if it's a slight net positive, I don't think that's enough of a difference to really improve his pass protection. So it's going to be on those weapons. Like it, it has been in New York for so long. Is Odell Beckham going to be an all-world receiver for 16 games or close to it? Is Saquon Barkley going to hit the ground running as the top rookie running back? Are they going to get more this year out of technically a tight end, but really their their slot receiver, Evan Ingram? If the answer to these questions and all of these questions is yes, the Giants could be interesting on offense, but you then look at the defense. Good in 2016, it really regressed last year. There were many off-the-field reasons, or rather not on the field reasons, probably a better way of putting it, for that regression. But I just don't... They got the guy from the Cardinals, though, who was a good defensive coordinator with Bruce Arians there. Was this Becker? James Becker, but... Better, yeah. That, that could look. That could totally work. That could make a huge mm-hmm. difference for the way that defense functions. But they're still they need Olivier Vernon to be healthy. They need that, and I also think some of the guys that they brought in are big question marks. I'm not saying that they are necessarily bad, but I don't have about Alec Ogletree. specifically him. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is very rare that you see a team sign a player to extension and then in less than 12 months move him for essentially anything that they could get, and that's what they did with Ogletree. And, and they have no depth. That's another important point. Like the Rams have no linebackers. Like they are running out nothing at that position. They're basically punting on just having competent linebackers this year. That's how little they like. It's just like you're saying the Ogletree stuff is very concerning. Yeah. And if, if they're not going to have great coverage or pass coverage, and I'm not sure that they're going to with that secondary and they're not going to have a great pass rush, which even with Olivier Vernon, that is a big question mark then where does this defense win? And the answer is probably against the run. But if you're going to be bad against one thing in the NFL defensively now, you want it to be against the run. You want to be able to stop the pass. And I I just don't think that this is a unit that is positioned to do that well. And so you're asking the offense to carry the team. And I think that's all, as we discussed earlier, also shaky. So there are just so many question marks with this team and it's an older team. I, I just... It it seems like a mess. I don't know that they've really fixed any of the problems that took them down in 2017. What do you make of the Aaron Rodgers uh, extension? 
Well, despite it technically being a record-setting contract, which means that it's going to be worth a lot of money, worth a lot of money for a long time, it kind of is a win for Green Bay in the sense that, as far as we know, the deal does not contain any early opt-outs or any sort of clauses that would fall under the purview of player control. It's really just a matter of how much money he makes and when he makes it. And we don't have the structure yet, so for all we know, there's going to be some situation where, come the 2019 season, there's just this huge cap number that they're going to have to deal with. But from the early signals, it seems like the first two years are going to be relatively manageable in terms of cap number for Rodgers. And then as the number jumps, you have two more years of salary cap inflation that ends up being about $10 million a year. So you can expect about $20 million more plus whatever the Packers roll over. When you calculate that all in, I think it's going to be a very manageable amount for a quarterback that is conservatively the second best in football. So considering what this could have turned into long term, you have to look at it as a pretty decent win for the Packers. So if you're a Packers fan, do you like how do you look approach the season? You got that contract done. You brought in a new DC finally after 15 years of Don Capers. You have a new system. You have Josh Jackson who's lighting it up in the preseason. You invested a lot of capital, draft capital especially in the cornerbacks. You brought back Tremont Williams. Um, you have Jair Alexander. You have Auckland Dix. You have a bunch of guys now um, that make sense. They should have a good pass rush. They should have a good secondary. Um, you, but that it. it like they have a little bit of depth depending on how you feel about Ty Montgomery staying healthy and Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams in the backfield. But like Jordy Nelson's gone and we'll see how he does in Oakland, even though I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to not, not <laughs> betting on a 33 year old receiver. No, no, I'm not. It's a, it's not great. But then you have like D'Angelo Yancey, who's apparently just lighting it up uh, with first teams. And you have Geronimo Allison, who I can't quit. And you have a bunch of guys. And apparently Randall Cobb might be um, on the way out. Like, wh- I think that's now the most interesting part of the Packers is their wide receiver situation. What do you make of it? Well, in terms of the wide receivers alone, there's a scenario in which they keep seven of these guys. I don't. Oh wow! I, I don't really buy the Randall Cobb talk. It, it doesn't make sense from almost any angle you think of. He's in the final year of his contract, so it's not like they're avoiding some cap number in the future. He's going to be off the books one way or another, unless you want to resign him. And he's their most experienced pass catcher, at least the most experienced one with Green Bay. That doesn't seem like the kind of player you want to get rid of right now. So it, I can't completely discount the possibility, but I feel like that's more of a fun rumor that people or people wanted to run with than an actual report of substance. And you look at those receivers, if you're counting Jimmy Graham as well, it's not peak Green Bay, but it is still pretty good. Devontae Adams has developed into one of the best receivers yeah. in the league. Jimmy Graham can certainly help them out in the red zone in the way that Jordy Nelson probably would have had he remained in Green Bay. I don't know if it's going to change what they do in between the 20s. It does on paper, but the execution is always the question with Green Bay's offense. They oftentimes have the means to be the top offense in the league, and they don't always get there. So I need to see it with Graham in terms of being more than a red zone threat before I totally buy in. But that possibility is there. My more my bigger concerns with this team, the depth on the offensive line, which I know is a concern for a lot of franchises, but in this particular case, it's more more concerning and the defense. I think the players are there, albeit in some cases very young, but Mike Pettin has, he has a, he has a big task. It, it's not just that he's taking a group that underperformed the last few seasons. It's he's going to have to find a way to manufacture a pass rush without many reliable pass rushers. Muhammad Wilkerson has been that player in the past, but it's been at least two years since we've seen it. Clay Matthews and Nick Perry have been it more recently, but the bigger concern with them is injuries. What happens when not just one, but both of them likely go down for 
maybe not a long period of time, but multiple games. When those guys are out, what is he going to do? The last time we saw him running a defense successfully was probably with Buffalo or New York, and he was able to make that work, but I feel like he's going to be pushed more here because specifically with the Jets, he had the best cover man at the time in Darrell Rivas. There, even if you're optimistic about the members of this Packers secondary, there's nobody approaching that. J- Josh Jackson has looked fantastic in the preseason. I think you're absolutely right about that. I don't think he's going to be Darrell Rivas at any point in his career, let alone as a rookie. The same tr- is true, I think, for Jair Alexander. Jamal Williams, I think, can be a steadying force, but I don't think he's someone who you can just line up across uh, the field from the number one receiver and expect great things every time. And if the coverage is suspect relative to what we've seen with the best pet in defense and the, the pass rush is not consistently there the way that it has been for Green Bay maybe five, six years ago, this is a kind of situation where it might start out well and then middle of the year it kind of falls apart. So I, I'm not totally sold on the unit. The potential is there for significant improvement, but that also says a lot about what the defense was in 2017 under Don Capers. And there's a lot of pressure on him because the NFC North is stacked the wide receiver position now. You have um, the Lions with Marvin Jones. Uh, and, and good quarterbacks. It's not just the receivers. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see on Trubisky, but it can't be any worse than what it was last year. Now you have Allen Robinson, Trey Burton. You have, um, I mean, uh, the Memphis kid, Anthony Miller, who I like a lot. Like you have, uh, so they're going to be interesting at the very least with Matt Nagy running the show. And then obviously with the two best receiving, like this is probably the best receiving core in football and Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. And Stefan Diggs looks like um, he's just a guy who's going to take it to another level this year. Like his just ability to catch uh, the ball, no matter where it's thrown. Kirk Cousins is a pretty accurate guy, but he could throw it wherever, and Stefan Diggs is going to find a way to uh, catch balls that are um, seemingly uncatchable. And and that's going to be, receivers. as you put it, that's going to be something that gets tested early. I believe that's the second game of the season for Green Bay. Mm-hmm. So if, if that matchup happens near the end of the year, maybe some of those rookies have rounded into form and they're more dependable. Second week of the season, you're probably going to see Tremont Williams, Devon House, Kevin King, or some combination thereof as the starting secondary and it's not that those aren't consistent veterans, but the ceiling is well-defined, at least outside of King. And yeah, I think you're well, right. To be fair, at least they will uh, think, the fans will think that they're watching the veterans in Tremont Williams and uh, Sam Shields because Josh Jackson is wearing uh, number 37. So maybe that uh, will <laughs> shield some of the criticism. They'll be like, oh, we don't have a rookie out there. No, it's uh, Sam Shields. No, 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 it's Josh Jackson. Yeah. It's going to be very confusing for Packers fans when come middle of the year they're playing the Rams. Sam Shields is actually on the other side of the field. Oh, is he still on? I didn't even realize he was still there. I, I thought oh, he, Shields was gone. Well, I mean, the, he essentially was forced into retirement because of those concussions yeah. and then was out for most of the 20, virtually all of the 2016 season and then all of last year. And I was going to say, I feel like I've not seen him in forever. Okay. But yeah, no, he's been suiting up for the Rams. He, he's very much part of the plan there. I don't, I don't know that it's a lock that he makes the team, but I'm assuming that he does just given his upside. And yeah, an- another weapon for Wade Phillips' defense. It's going to be very what a interesting. Cornerback situation: Marcus Peters, Akib Talib, Sam Shields. It's the island of misfit toys. Only all of these toys were like rich kid toys. Like, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Like the the mm-hmm. upside of if we're going to shift to the Rams here, the upside of that defense is maybe not as high as the Vikings or the Jags, but it's probably that next group below them. And we already mm-hmm. know that offense is going to be as long as the main components stay healthy one of the best units in the league. So in a division that really does not offer a ton of obvious competition, there's a scenario where that team runs away with the number one seed. And and I think a fairly likely it's scenario. It's so highly combustible. Like, I just, I don't see it either. Like, there's no middle ground for the Rams this year. 
like either this is going to be another home run and they're going like 13 and 3, 14, 14 and 2 with this talent or they're imploding and they're going to make some midseason trades on defense and shake things up a little bit. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's either going to be really great and they're going to the Super Bowl or it's just going to be a disaster and we're all like, oh my God, that ended it quickly. But it's going to be so fun either way. Yeah. Right? Maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. No team, I think, bet more on themselves in 2018 yeah. than the Rams. Just saying something, given what we've already said about the Saints, they brought. And it also says a lot about Jared Goff. Like they're like, oh, the clock's ticking. We are. We got to avoid. We got to win before we have to pay Jared Goff as soon as humanly possible. I mean, that's the right strategy that every NFL team is doing right now. But and it, it's absolutely Goff. the right strategy yeah. because even if you have an elite level quarterback, the best asset you can have as an NFL team is a good or better quarterback on his rookie deal. And I don't know that golf is going to ever be that much better than we saw last season, which is why when he's getting paid just a few million a year, as opposed to 20 plus, which I assume he'll eventually get if he stays healthy, which is insane to me. I don't even think he's a top 20 quarterback. I'm just, I'm not a Jared Goff guy. I think he can be fine. And in that offense, that's what matters. He, if he develops into, into a, better quarterback. That's perfectly fine. That that possibility is absolutely on the table. But because he was so bad as a rookie and because he was so much different with Sean McVay last year, right. it, it's really hard to divorce. Was it was it Jeff Fisher keeping him down? He was actually a good quarterback. Was it Sean McVay taking a mediocre quarterback and turning him into a good quarterback? Is it some combination thereof? Right now, I don't think we can say, but we can. And that's what's going to happen with the Bears, right? With Trubisky now with uh, Matt Nagy, who's just an offensive genius, and Mark Helfrich running the show there on offense. Like the difference going from John Fox to bright offensive mind like you're seeing that across the board right well well i think that Nagy could end up being that guy but let's let him coach a few regular season games before yeah. we put him in the I mean, there's category. potential for him to be like the sean mcveigh type where everybody falls in love like oh this offense is fun again and now they're doing crazy stuff and it's a top 10 offense dvoa and everything else sure and, and if that happens it looks like they they took the right strategy this offseason they they paid a, actually I, I thought a pretty decent amount for Allen Robinson, who mm-hmm. when he's right, I think that he's one of the top five receivers in football. We saw that during his, not his last healthy season, but one of his more recent healthy seasons where despite playing with maybe the worst version of Blake Bortles, led the team with, I think it was like 1,400 exactly yards uh, at or near double digit touchdowns. Just a tremendous performance from a bad offense. And this offense you would think is going to be schemed a lot more intelligently. There are going to be a lot more opportunities for Allen Robinson to make easier catches and catches further down the field than we saw in in the past with Jacksonville. He just has to stay in the field. Yeah. And he look, he's really only had one serious injury in the pros. It just happens to have happened last season. And I think that dominates the, the narrative about him. But a lot of receivers have torn ACLs and come back and been just fine. And Allen Robinson is, I think, barely 25. So I'm not too worried about it. I like the way the receiving core is shaping up. They don't even need a contribution of meaning from Kevin White or right. Josh Belmere, one of those guys who's been kicking around Chicago for a few seasons. If you're, there's a concern with that offense, besides we don't really know what Trubisky is yet, it's also the offensive line. Charles Leno, I think, is a perfectly capable offensive tackle, but I, I don't know that I would want to start him. And he's probably their best tackle. And, the, you know, it, it just all cascades from there. You know, how many games does Kyle Long play? Are they really going to play Eric Cush for a whole season as one of their starters? At what point does James Daniels get moved in, their second round pick from this year? Uh, just a lot of questions. And if the offensive line gels to being even adequate, I think this offense can actually be, by the end of the season, one of the better units in the league. But if it has trouble doing that and injuries play a role, that could short circuit the whole offense. The, the Chiefs were, in some sense, fairly fortunate with injuries last year along the offensive line. 
I don't know that they would have had the same story if that weren't the case. Speaking of the Chiefs, I want to transition to the AFC West because I think most divisions we have a good idea of the hierarchy. I have no idea what to make of the AFC West. Like, I still think the Gruden stuff's going to end poorly, but like, if it starts poorly in year one, like, oh my God, this is going to get even worse very fast. But like, Derek Carr is still probably a top 15 quarterback, and it's like a lot of veterans. So if the veterans stay healthy, they're probably going to be really good. I mean, him investing in Derek Johnson to run the defense and be the quarterback of the defense is kind of crazy in 2018. But like, you can see the avenue where they're like 10 and six and win the division this year. And then it gets progressively worse and all that kind of stuff. But you're, um, you're way more optimistic on this Raiders team than I am. Even if we, well, no, I'm not optimistic on them long-term, but I think, Oh no, I know I, I, I in, in 2018, I, you yeah. viewing this roster. I'm not saying you're wrong. Cause we don't know yet a lot more optimistically. I don't think, and this was true last year as well. I don't think that they have any depth anywhere. Yeah. And if well, the great news is they drafted amazing in 2018. They uh, na- really nailed that to replenish this depth issue uh, for the next couple of seasons. They did not. They had a terrible draft. Look, there are a lot of drafts that look terrible within the first year, and they we end up viewing them very differently. But I don't feel very confident that these rookies are going to contribute a lot in 2018, which is important for this discussion. That offensive line they just cut Obi. Like they they they're cutting important players, like guys who should be good. Well, you would hope a second round pick would be able to contribute literally anything before the <laughs> for the end of his rookie contract. He never right. played a game. for them. That's insane. Yeah. Which probably I mean, I think Reggie McKenzie is one of the better GMs in the league. I don't put a lot of these mistakes on him simply because he no longer is in control there. Colton Miller does not feel like a Reggie McKenzie pick. P.J. Hill definitely does not feel like a Reggie McKenzie pick. And the way some of the, some of these trades, like I don't see Reggie McKenzie or really anyone who came out of that Ron Wolf front office in Green Bay in the 90s spending a mm. third round pick on a wide receiver going into the final year of his contract who has never consistently put it together and has off the field issues, this being Martavis Bryant. That felt right. like a Gruden decision all the way. And, you know, already it seems like he's he's not going to see a ton of playing time. He's just going to be a situational player unless injuries force their hand. So you you look around this team and it's if they suffer an injury almost anywhere, the whole thing yeah. could fall apart. And we're assuming that John Gruden is going to do anything with this team from a coaching perspective. And let's remember the last time we saw him coach an NFL team, which was over a decade ago, he wasn't a particularly good coach. I, I don't think that he's anything close to a genius. I think we we dispensed of that notion a long time ago, and he's now the highest paid coach in NFL history with a roster that is ankle deep at best. I don't see how this doesn't blow up in their face. So I don't think you're picking them to win the AFC West this year. That's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, that, that's a fair read. I, I don't see mm-hmm. how it's it's not that if everyone stayed healthy. If, you, if you're playing, if everyone stayed healthy, it's the Chargers. Like that's just, like it's no question, right? If the Chargers were healthy and did not go full Chargers to start the year, like they're the best team by far. I feel like I, I think the Chiefs are at least in that discussion, but certainly the Chargers. Really, Chiefs, not Broncos. Okay, I, I don't really think all that much of this Broncos team. If, if let, mm. let, let's let, there's multiple things on on our plate here. Let, let's do the one by yes. one. So with the Chiefs, I do think there's ways that they've regressed in terms of the roster since last year, but there's upside too, right? Like. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to play in 2018 as well as we saw Alex Smith play during the duration of the 2017 season, but there are certain things that he can do that I, mean, I don't know that any Andy Reid quarterback since Brett Favre has been able to do. It doesn't mean it's going to play out well. There's the possibility that he completely implodes, but they have the right infrastructure for him to succeed. It's not just Andy Reid in that offense. 
Now, Kareem Hunt is the right kind of dual threat running back for what you'd want with a player like Patrick Mahomes. They have multiple deep threats with, with a player like Mahomes. That, that's what you want. The pass protection is at least going to be adequate if they stay healthy, which again, big caveat with all this stuff. And they might have the, actually might have, they probably have the best tight end in the NFL, not named Rob Gronkowski. These are all things that put Mahomes in position to succeed in a way that I don't think we can say about almost any other young quarterback, but you know, the defense is going to have trouble. It's not nearly as deep as it was even last year. Defenses have been getting blitzed and they have less depth than they even did a year ago. The defense just scares me. I think they're going to win a lot of like Andy Reid wins regular season games. And that's part of the reason that I'm just, I'm bullish on them. And I don't think it's going to be like a disaster either way, but like, I I don't know that defense really scares me. I feel like they're going to lose like six or seven games. And those games are going to be like, they gave up like 45, 52, that kind of thing. Like, I think this defense is getting destroyed this year. I could definitely see that happening on a regular basis, but that's also why I don't really feel all that great about the Broncos defense. This is not the no fly zone from 2015, right? Von Miller is still there and I'm not trying to imply that he's a diminished entity. He is not the rest of that. Chubb's there now. Yeah, and I'm, I was not a huge Bradley Chubb guy. I don't have a problem with them picking him where they did, that the sixth overall pick, if I remember correctly. It's not bad value. I just don't know that he is going to be able to contribute in that defense right away in the manner that they're expecting. He, he could take some time. And if he struggles, who is going to take up the mantle? We've seen Shane Ray have flashes where it looks like he might be an elite pass rusher, but for the most part, he's alternating between mediocre and injured. That's an ideal, but he might still be injured right now. Yeah, that defensive line, Derek Wolf is easily the best player there. He's at injury issues. They're relying on the decaying corpse of I, I've never been able to pronounce his first name. So I'll just go, I'll just go with Damata Pekka. That, that's the one. And they're going to need these guys to to stop the run. And I, I just don't see how that's going to happen consistently. The secondary looks a little better. Chris Harris is still one of the most underrated. Ravens is there now who like is the wild card there, right? Maybe uh, it's been a while since he played though, right? Like yeah. maybe you know, there's a scenario in which by the middle point of the, of the season, he's a very useful player in, in terms of pass coverage, like those slot receivers and those tight ends, the way that Washington used him as a rookie, he could also just wash out of that team entirely. He might just be a like, special yeah. teams player. We don't know. I think it's too early to predict big things for them. The fact that they signed Adam Jones to play probably a pretty meaningful role for them, I think is indicative of the problem. So I, I don't know that it's going to be as bad as the Chiefs, but they're relying on the defense much, much more than the Chiefs are relying on their defense. And that's why I think they're going to run into issues. Can I make the case that they're just going to be so much better offensively that that might, like, even though they have slipped a little bit on defense, that just having a competent offense again is going to pay huge dividends for them to win like nine games this year? Well, then my counter is, why do you think it's going to be a more competent offense? So I'm a Case Keenan believer. Like, I th- thought he was just kind of undervalued with how good he was last year. I liked what I saw there. I don't think the Vikings got a gigantic upgrade in Kirk Cousins over him. I think I- I'm with you how bad Trevor that. Simeon was for this Broncos team last year and just the quarterback play in general was just so bad that, I mean, it, it even forced out Mike McCoy. Just he couldn't do anything, so they had to promote Musgrave, and uh, he's a Colorado guy, so it seems like he's going to be entrenched there. So at least they have some continuity on offense now. But, like, I love the Royce Freeman pick. I think there's a real possibility he has a really good rookie year. Not Kareem Hunt, but I think he's going to be really good for them. It would not surprise me if he's just an above average. And it feels like they have not had a go-to running back since. Like, CJ Anderson's fine, but you can't count on him. You can't count on Devontae Booker. But I think uh, Royce Freeman could be that guy. Um, but then the I offensive line, look, right? Like, that's where the offensive it all line's comes a joke. 
yes, it's the offensive line, but it's also like, I love the receivers. I love the Cortland Sutton pick. And he looks like he's going to be a guy who is a really good player for them long term. Demarius Thomas might be the most consistent wide receiver in football. Like he, if you look at his numbers year in, year out, they're all basically identical. Like he is just someone who, you know what you're getting for seven years. And um, Manuel Sanders is back. Like I love the Deshaun Hamilton pick. I thought he was really good at Penn state for years and years. Like he's a guy who's going to contribute pretty quickly. Cause he's like a five year college guy. Like, I, I don't know. I just think this offense, I don't think it's going to be top 10 defense, uh, offensive DVOA, but it would not surprise me if they're like top 15 and the defense still is somewhere around the top 10. I guess my concern with the receivers, and it's not so much that I disagree with what you said. Cortland Sutton was my favorite receiver in this draft. Even if he's not an immediate contributor, I think that he's the member of this draft class that is going to have the best career. And mm. Deshaun Hamilton is at worst going to be a competent slot receiver once he gets going. So if that's all he is, then that's a that's a home run with a fourth round pick. You don't have to call. And you found the right replacements for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. It's perfect. I guess my issue is more of what are you going to get out of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders in this particular offense? So your point about the numbers with Thomas, I think, is accurate. My concern is that even during whatever you consider to be the best Demarius Thomas year, he really only did a few things. He was not a versatile wide receiver. He was only going to do, especially during the, like the heyday of the Peyton Manning era, he was doing fades, quick hitches, couple you know wide receiver bubble screens. That was about it. And I don't think he's really developed a skill set beyond that. He's just, you know, a little bit older now. That doesn't mean he's not going to be successful, but I, the ways that you can use him is a lot more limited than other receivers that are generally coupled in with him. Like, you know, an AJ Green, for example, does a lot more different things. I granted Green is probably in most people's eyes, a better receiver overall. And he is not Jalen Ramsey's. That's a a whole nother discussion. We'll bring that up (laughs) later. Yeah. But Thomas is only going to do a few things really, really, or honestly, just going to do a few things, well or not. And for an offense that had such a huge problem moving the ball in any capacity last year, I just don't know if that he offers the same security blanket that you're going to get with maybe a peak Emmanuel Sanders. And we're well past that peak with him, which is my concern yeah. there. So if those two guys are not as valuable to this particular offense, even if they would have been more valuable in another on another team in another context, then you're relying on big contributions from rookies and with receivers, that's always dicey. So I, I have, I think that the ceiling that you're seeing is not too different. Than the ceiling that I see, because like you, I felt that Keenum had a very good year. He played above his head. I don't think you're going to see, even if he had stayed in Minnesota and even if they had not changed offensive coordinators, I don't think he was going to be able to replicate that. The Vikings were trading for a higher, or they signed cousins for the higher floor, not because they necessarily thought he was going to have a higher ceiling than Keenum, but it doesn't mean that Keenum is not going to be a significant step up from the quarterbacks that we saw last year for Denver, really since. But he's also a quarterback who can play with a bad offensive line. We saw like he can move around. He's mobile. He can avoid pressure. He's someone that like is still accurate when he avoids pressure. Like he's, he, uh, he does some cool stuff. I feel like he's just a low key good fit there. And he's just, I don't know. I like Keenum. And I, I love this story. I hope he works out. I, maybe that's part of it. Is that I'm just, really, you're just, you're just projecting your, your interest. Look, I, I think you're right. He's Matt Saracen in the NFL. That's what's happening here. I think that's all it is, is he's my Matt Saracen that I've latched onto. He does kind of have that face too, right? Right. Like that, that all shucks, what you, kind of like, yeah. why am I here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's like he got replaced by Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins was the JD McCoy here, the golden boy that uh, they were just like, he's he's the guy. We're paying him a fully guaranteed contract in case Keenum got uh, 
he got moved. Like he was just the forgotten son. So no, I, I, like he was an all-time great college quarterback. I think he still has the most yards of any quarterback in college history. Right? I feel like it's still Case Keenum's record. If, if he's not number one, he's number two. Like yeah, so. he was at Houston for. I'm going to. This is the exact number. He was there for 13 seasons, and it's going to be hard for any quarterback uh, to just to replicate those numbers. People don't know this, but uh, he's actually uh, Timmy Chang. Uh, yeah, Timmy Chang did that in like one year at Hawaii. Yeah, those. If, if we really want to go that far into the weeds, those Hawaii offenses with June Jones, some of those quarterbacks are. We even in the current era of college football, we may never see numbers like that again. Well, it's back. You see Hawaii, they dropped like fifty uh, on college. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it was a week zero game. And I, I look, I would be so excited if Hawaii was fun again. Because the last time I remember Hawaii being like not just relevant, like fun to watch on TV. Colt Brennan was exact. Was Colt Brennan uh, the I want to say the sixth round pick to Washington that never saw mm-hmm. the light of day? And that wasn't his fault. He got but he got wrapped up in the Jim Zorn mess. It's not his fault. I still believe in Colt. Yeah, you know it's just because he couldn't make the LA kiss doesn't mean there's not still light at the end of the tunnel. There you go. True, true story, by the way. I'm not, I'm not making that up about the LA kiss. <laughs> Why aren't we getting Johnny Menzel versus Colt Brennan in the CFL this year? How is that not a thing? I just don't think there's enough imaginative people in That's what's football. going on here. Right. Um, how old would you guess Timmy Chang is? I'm going to guess 32. Wow. You, he was at like, he was at Hawaii like 1998. Was it that long ago? I thought it was more recent. It feels that long ago. No, it was at least like early 2000s. I, I, I don't know the exact, he is 36. Okay, so a little older, but when you said I feel like he should be fifty three. I remember, like, I remember being very young watching Timmy Chang play football, and I, I don't know, it seems low to me. But um, look, when you, when you spend your time in Hawaii, you just age that much more slowly. I guess that's what it is. Um, Steelers, <laughs> what a transition! Super Bowl. <laughs> that's why they pay me the big bucks, man. Almost two hundred episodes. I've mastered the art of transitioning on this podcast, Jason. Um. The Steelers are the last thing I want to touch on before we go. The Pittsburgh Steelers are my Super Bowl pick. The, the week one season is still a week away. I want to get this in now. I just, I feel like everything, this is the last year of Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh. Um, I love the James Washington pick. It seems like he is going to be really good for them. They just, I'm not a believer in the Pats this year. I There's too many question marks for me to believe they're getting back to the Super Bowl. And I just feel like the AFC is so weak that we're getting the pittsburgh steelers in the super bowl and they should have been last year if they uh the jesse james touchdown call had gone a different way i think they're in the super bowl so um am i crazy for penciling in the pittsburgh steelers as uh, my super bowl team in the asc this year crazy absolutely not if you want to make the case for the steelers you have Le'Veon bell who conservatively is one of the three best running backs i think a lot of people myself included would say the best running back in the nfl presently and he's about to have his demarco murray season by which i mean the way that oh no no, no, this no, 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 no. I mean this in a good way. The way that the Cowboys had DeMarco Murray that final year, they're like, we're not going to well, they run him into the ground, yeah. And we don't care about your long-term <laughs> earning potential and viability. We're going to get everything we can out of you this year. And look, Bell's had injuries in the past that could crop up this year too, obviously. But I, I think Bell can hack it. He's he's one of those big running backs with a small running back skill set. And at least for this season, I think he's going to put up some career numbers for him, at least in terms of volume. Efficiency could could fall a bit, but the volume numbers, I think, are going to be there. That receiving core is 
if it's not the best in the NFL, it's definitely the deepest. They have. The, I think Ryan Switzer puts him over the top, in my opinion. Even if without, even if he never plays it down for them, look at everyone else they had. You mentioned James Washington. He was one of my favorite receivers in this draft, and a guy who he gets pegged as being the small receiver because he's under six feet, but he has the wingspan of like a six four guy, and he has pretty decent leaping ability and straight line speed. So when you put all those things together, it makes sense that this was like the deep threat at Oklahoma State and can really take up that Martavis Bryant role. Maybe even do it better than he did most recently. And then it's everything else. Antonio Brown's amazing. Juju Smith-Schuster should be even better his second season because, what is he, 21 today? Like, he's still yeah. so young. So much- He's younger than uh, Washington. He is. So, yeah. Schuster, if he stays healthy, and you, I mean, that's the caveat for throw out for almost everybody, should be better in year two. And that alone, I think, makes it a, a very... Very, very nice receiving core. If Switzer just becomes a useful slot receiver, then great. If they're able to get another okay season of Eli Rogers in the slot, great. It doesn't really matter because they have so much other talent. The offensive line, especially in terms of pass protection, is so, so good. Roethlisberger, even though he's not as old as some of these other quarterbacks that we discussed, he could also fall off at any given time just given the way that he has been battered around. And I'm not sure that he takes care of himself the way that we see like a Brady, Rogers, Breeze take care of themselves. But I, I think for this season, it's probably going to be okay. And if all those things come together, this this and like the Chiefs are – the offense you could see scoring the most points in the NFL, it all comes down right to that defense. Like is that yeah. defense – Don't love that secondary. If, if Ryan Switzer was there, I feel totally different. If Ryan Switzer's there, they're, they're my – not just – You mean Ryan Shazier. Excuse me, yeah. So I just had Switzer yeah. on the mind. Ryan Shazier, yeah. if he's there – I don't think that may automatically makes them a great defense, but I think it brings up the floor so much that they're the team I expect to win the AFC and they'd probably be my Super Bowl winner, or at least my favorite mm-hmm. to do so. Because he's not there and because they don't have anything to replace him, and it'd be hard to replace him. He, he was such a talented player. Had he stayed healthy, I don't think he would have won Defensive Player of the Year, but I think he would have received some votes. Like That's how good he was. It's it's going to be rough. The The secondary is relying, is relying on Joe Hayden, Artie Burns has been okay. Uh, maybe he takes the step this year, but we don't know that right now. Morgan Burnett, I think, is going to be very useful as a run stuffer, and he's going to do some things against tight ends and pass coverage, but they might be relying on him to be their center fielder. I'm not sure that's a role that he can play. So is T.J. Watt going to become an elite pass rusher? Maybe eventually. I don't know that it happens this year. Cameron Hayward is great. He's probably the best player in that defense, but he's missed time. You can say the same about Stephen Tewitt. There's just all of these moving parts. And even if they're all there, I'm not sure the defense is all that great. So it's going to be, can they win 42 to 35? And they can do that, but that is a very hard way to make it through an entire NFL season in the playoffs. So give me your Super Bowl picks right now. Ooh, okay. Uh, I, you know, I've gone back and forth specifically in the AFC. We, We talked about the Steelers. They're one of those teams. I can't quit the Patriots because even through what appears to be the most tumultuous season of the Brady Belichick era, they still made it to the Super Bowl. And that was, I don't even think a a top seven Patriots team, the one that made it last year. I think they're going to be in certain ways better this year. And, you know, as long as Brady avoids falling off the cliff and I, you know, it's going to happen for him someday. I'm going to guess that he has at least one more year of high quality play left in him. I think I'm leaning in that direction over the Steelers. But you ask me again in like half an hour, my answer might be different. In terms of the NFC, I think that's a lot more interesting because instead of having two good teams at the top and then a bunch of teams with they're like 36. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, exactly. 36 teams in the NFC and they mm-hmm. all have a shot at it. But 
you have in almost every division outside of, I would say, the NFC East, one team that would not surprise anyone if they won the Super Bowl. The Eagles mm-hmm. make a lot of sense to go back there this year, and I don't think they have a ton of other competition because I just I didn't like Dallas when they were healthy, and they're not healthy right now. We already discussed the Giants. I don't think Washington is going to be significantly improved with their changes. But it's just hard to bet against Alex Smith in the regular season. Like that's they're such a weird team because I I'm with you. Like their depth is not great, and I I'm not a Washington believer, but I'm also an Alex Smith believer. So I I still have no idea. Ask me in 30 minutes how I feel about Washington, and it's like you, where it's like I will have a completely different opinion on that team going into this year. Yeah, the counter is Alex Smith in his best years, whether in San Francisco or in Kansas City, had John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh and Andy Reid respectively. He now has Jay Gruden, and it's not quite the same. Not the same now. And I would say that's the big difference. You go to the NFC, I see Green Bay and Minnesota both as viable contenders in the NFC South. You can sell me on any team other than Tampa Bay, literally any of those teams. And in the NFC West, maybe that's another division that doesn't have more than one contender. But that contender, the Los Angeles Rams, definitely has everything it needs. They, They have the clear path. They have the talent. Looking at it all, I think I lean towards the Rams. It's... I do have some questions about how that offense is going to change because unlike some of these more tested offenses, we have not had to see Sean McVay adjust to the NFL adjusting to him. And we're going to at some point see that in 2018. I think he can do it, but I want to see it before I completely put my stamp of approval on him. But I think that defense is going to be so much better than it was last year. And it already was pretty good. I think the offense is not going to be significantly worse if it does go down. And I think there's a chance that it could improve between all that. Yeah, with the caveat that we put for everybody, as long as their main components stay healthy, I I think that they can take the NFC because if they're the number one seed, it's going to be very hard to upset them in Los Angeles. I've settled on Vikings versus Steelers. Look, that that makes a ton of sense to me, too. My main concern with Minnesota and it we're we're talking about the top teams. These are all nitpicks is there is going to be some built in regression because they had a better record last year than really their talent would have suggested. They were playing that well by the end of the year, especially in the playoffs, but I'm not sure that's the way they, the team that they were for the whole season. And yeah, they get Dalvin cook back, but I don't know that Kirk cousins is going to be able to replicate the success that case Keenan had last year. Even if I think he's going to be pretty good, it's a new offensive coordinator. This is someone who granted has called but it's someone who's good. John D. Wait, 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 it's a good move. Yeah. Someone who I think is going to be good and someone who I imagine is going to be one of, if not the most coveted head coaching candidate next off season. But yep. that's not the same as saying that he is a proven offensive coordinator because the last time we saw him in that role was with the Cleveland Browns. And mm-hmm. it, there's a plenty of ways to justify the lack of success because there was so little talent there at the time, but we haven't seen him as a play caller have that success. So there's a scenario where maybe he's really just a good position coach and not offensive coordinator. We can't say for certain that that isn't the, isn't the scenario yet. So it's between that. It's between just the general aggression. You're, I think you're going to see at certain parts. He brought in Sheldon Richardson, though. I mean, you still have Harrison Smith, who you can make the case is like the best safety in football. You still have Xavier he, he's, the, he's probably the best one that's actually playing week one, right? Like, unless Earl right, Thomas yeah. reports, Harrison Smith is a guy. So I'm with you there. I don't think the defense is... It might statistically regress a little bit, but I don't think it's actually going to be worse. It probably is going to be better just because of the additional depth that they added. It's just that offense. Like, even with Dalvin Cook coming in, he's coming off the ACL. That That's not a minor thing, even though the recovery from ACLs has been a lot better the last 10 years than it was historically. That offensive line scares me so much. Like, they, they had a trade for Brett Jones earlier, or the, sorry, yeah, earlier this week 
that, that's never going to be an ideal situation where you're bringing somebody yeah. in to start either right away or soon thereafter on the offensive line. And even when healthy, this was not a great unit. So Kirk Cousins, when he doesn't have pressure, is one of the most effective quarterbacks in the NFL. When he is dealing with it, he turns into one of the worst starters across the league. And from that perspective, unless they're able to work around that with John DiFilippo, which we saw the Eagles do last year because the Eagles offensive line by the end of the year was better than this, but it wasn't without its flaws. Unless they're able to work around those issues now, I, I could see a scenario where Cousins at least in certain games, falls apart. And that could be the difference between, you know, 12 and four and having a, a buy in the playoffs to maybe going in as a wild card and having to play on the road. So I, look, there's definitely the path there. I just have a lot of concerns. And also, you know, they didn't really have to play Aaron Rodgers last year. They saw him for mm -hmm. part of one series, if I recall correctly, and then never again. That presumably will be different this year. And Aaron Rodgers, even though the Packers have less talent overall than the Vikings, and it's by, I think, a fair amount, Rodgers is the ultimate equalizer. He can carry that team on his back. So I just don't see the Vikings running away with the division the way they did last year, and I absolutely could see the Packers overtaking them. Okay. I'm right there with you. Um, but thankfully, the Vikings can count on the con Treadwell to make the jump this year. So that they got that going for them, right? Hey, eventually, it was going to Never happen. stop believing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I love those like Brashad Perriman versus Laquan Treadwell who's going to actually break out after year seven is that when they click and they become the first round picks that they were like live up to their first round value like, like be is that the year? best case scenario is not that they're either of them are similar actually Perriman's a little bit like this but the best case scenario is that they go on like the Ted Ginn career path where they mm. completely wash out with their first team. And then like they kind of once they're totally under the radar, develop into being like competent number three in some cases, number two receivers, specifically in that deep threat role. Treadwell's not mm -hmm. gonna be that guy. He he's definitely more of a, you know, he's definitely a guy who posts up around the first down marker and just wins jump balls. So he's mm -hmm. a different kind of guy, but maybe that's his future. I know he's had a decent preseason, but it's the preseason. I'm not going to put a ton of stock in that. I need to see that come the games that count. There you go. Jason, this was great. I'm really glad we were able to make this work today. Yeah, we only had to move the podcast around like twice. No, it's fine. It's fine, man. I'm glad we were able to make it work. Um, Jason, we can follow you on Twitter at by underscore JBH, and we can read you at all kinds of places. Uh, what do you have coming out this week? We're recording this on a Wednesday. Well, uh, we have plenty of coverage at SB Nation, specifically acmepackingcompany.com as it relates to all of the Aaron Rodgers news, uh, the Brett Hundley trade that also happened and completely got swept under the rug by the Rogers extension over at fan sided. I have a new feature that just came out Wednesday. I don't know when people are going to listen to this. So I'll give the actual day of the week tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it's the 50 players that are going to shape the NFL in 2018 and beyond. So these aren't, they aren't necessarily the 50 best players though. Many of the best players in the NFL do feature on this list. These are the players that because of what they are doing or what they're maybe not going to do are going to affect the league in the most meaningful way and then in the within the next week i'll have another feature for fan side talking about the upcoming quarterback drought in the draft uh the short version of it is when we have these mega quarterback classes like we saw in 2018 five going in the first round we tend to see very few drafted in the first round in the years that follow it and mm -hmm. there are going to be teams that need a franchise quarterback and are either going to have to reach for a guy who more so than usual shouldn't be in the first round drew lock baby the Drew Locke high train is going to be a big thing in certain NFL cities this year. And you know, and maybe he works out. It's, it's too early to say, but there are far fewer options. It certainly Some might say he's a lock for number one overall. Don't do that. 
<laughs> but there are fewer pedigreed options than in any recent season, and it's going to affect the way the draft looks. We, we haven't had a first round without a quarterback in a long, long time, but there's a real scenario where that happens in 2019. All right, man. Well, this is great. Um, everybody go check that out, and we'll have to talk in soon, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jason. All right. Chris Walder of The Score is here months away, but he's back. And uh, Chris, I have some bad news that uh, we're going to talk about some wrestling today. God, WWE, eh? You going to do this to me? I am. I am. It, uh, you know what? Like, there was some good stuff. There was some good stuff. There was, uh, I, I, I want to start with Raw this week because Chris, Roman Reigns, the big dog, um, that Michael Cole just love when you kick off Monday Night Raw with, uh, and here comes the big dog. I, <laughs> I just, I can't do it anymore. I don't know if it's like more aggravating than the, the period of time where they did that, uh, uh, King of Kings, uh, Triple H and Stephanie would come down to the ring every single week and the authority would do their opening promo to set up the rest of the show. Um, Roman Reigns is basically doing the equivalent now and I uh, I don't like it. And Michael Cole, I know. I, 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 let, me, let me just pose this question to you, Chris. Um, what is more cringe-inducing for you? Uh, and here comes the big dog or it's boss time. It's it's boss time. I and mm-hmm. I and I hate every time Cole says the, the big dog line for Roman, but it's boss time for Sasha is like in a whole other stratosphere in terms of like cringeworthy lines. So s- sorry Sasha Banks. I love you, but that line needs to die a slow death. Yeah. Um so Braun Strowman, I would like to start because I'm very excited to um basically we can end this. It is August, let's see. August 30th when we're recording. I said for the entire year that Braun Strowman was never going to win the title ever. And uh, in 2018, and I got a lot of flack for that. And I said, I don't think they're ever going to hand it to him. Remember those conversations like six months ago when people were like, I think he might be the guy. He's super over. How can you not make him the guy? I think he's going to be the guy. And it's like, ah, when have you ever like, that's not a Vince person. As long as Vince is in control, he's not doing that. Like this is not happening. Braun Strowman is not someone who's going to sell a bunch of merch. He's not going to be the guy that he's a one trick pony. His promos are very much the same. Um, he doesn't have the in ring quality. Like I like Braun Strowman, but do I think he was ever going to be the guy or ever, they were ever going to pivot away from Roman Reigns for Braun Strowman? Of course not. And I never bought it. And like as much as WWE wanted to make you think that they were going to move away from the Roman stuff, like when he lost to Lesnar, and they lost to Lesnar in the steel cage in Saudi Arabia, and then they had Bobby Lashley beat him, and then he got the win back, and then Bobby Lashley faded into the background, all that kind of stuff. But like Roman Reigns was always the end game here, and now that he's the champion, and we have more evidence to the um, fact that you know what Braun Strowman is not winning the title, and like he's not even cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase um, when Roman down. And uh, can I say something real quick? Sure you can. It's your show. <laughs> That's right. Braun Strowman, the character, is an idiot. Like, Johnny Gargano is a very dumb TV character, but, like, I think Braun Strowman might be the most idiotic television character in the WWE right now because... So, he tried to cash in on Roman Reigns last week, right? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. 
And he cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase for a Hell in a Cell match where the Shield can not get involved and help him out to open this week, right? In his mind, yeah. <laughs> what did he do to close this episode of Monday Night Raw? He attacked Roman, attacked all three mm-hmm. members of the Shield, and he aligned himself with Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. And if he was planning on aligning himself with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre, who found themselves in the opening segment, by the way, why would he uh, go ahead and cash in when he could just use them to turn on Roman in the main event and have that three-on-one assault and then cash in and just become universal champion right then and there? Why go ahead and cash it in and book the match if you were planning on uh, attacking Roman Reigns to end the night anyway? You're trying to make logical sense of a WWE storyline, and all you're going to do is make your brain explode, man. Like in the in hindsight, yeah, if he knew from the very beginning that he was going to be aligning with these two guys and then attacking Roman in the main event, sure, he should have cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase and he would have become the champion right then and there. But I think with Strowman, I think they want you to believe that he's not like this methodical guy. Like he's not, he doesn't think two steps ahead. Well, Cole was screaming that he knew. Like that's the thing is the commentary team wanted you to believe that he had this all planned from the start. <sighs> they want you to think that, but... Again, with your logic, it just doesn't add up, and oh, that's no, what it doesn't. <laughs> that, that's what you. We have to think for ourselves on this point. We can't. We can't let Michael Cole and the commentary team dictate how we see this playing out. Because yeah, it, he really should have cashed it in, cashed it in then and there. But then, what would we have for a Hell in a Cell main event, Chase? <laughs> that's true. Um, and well, we would have a main event that would not be bad. Who wants to see Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns again? Uh, certainly not me. Maybe no, it's a, maybe it's a little different now because Braun yeah. was a face and he was super over and now he's a bad guy or they want us to think he's a bad guy. He'll probably get the Becky Lynch treatment and he'll get cheered the next time. He I don't up. know. I think I'm not sure about that because Becky, I think, is a very different situation because Becky, um, I don't even think they're treating her as a heel. I think people are overreacting to the way this is hand like she's being treated. I think this. Um, situation with Braun is like they want him to be a heel. I think they still want Becky to be a babyface, but I think they want Becky, and I think Brian Alvarez made this point, and I agree with it, is I think they want Charlotte and Becky to have valid points and the crowd to cheer both of them. They don't want them either to be a villain, even though Becky did uh, attack Charlotte from behind this week. Um, and then I, I compare... <laughs> so I love when Creative Team gets the okay from... Uh, the higher ups that that uh, a wrestler can say bitch in a promo because you know they jump at it any chance they get Roman Reigns Becky Lynch whenever they have an opportunity to feed those lines to them they get so excited they're like yes we get to curse on television again here we go <laughs> um, it's 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 funny but um, swearing on a PG yeah, show is a I big deal <laughs> yeah I mean I think they would have ran away from Becky's cheers and everything else like I just think the way it shot and the way that she's still being presented. Um, I don't know. I think they are still looking at her as like an anti-hero baby face. Like it, it kind of reminds me of Dean Ambrose in a, in a way too. Like the way he's just kind of, since he's come back, the serious nature of like, he, he doesn't really care. You don't really get strong baby face vibes from him, but it's clear that he is one because the fans like him. Uh, I think there's some similarities there. Uh, and shout out to him for beating up Jinder Mahal real quick this week. Good, good, Dean, good guy, Dean Ambrose. And guess what? Uh, 
serious Dean Ambrose on Monday Night Raw is 10 times better than goofy WWE champion Dean Ambrose on SmackDown. Um, I very much appreciate the fact that he's back to being serious and um, disturbed and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that Becky Lynch is still in a good spot and people freaking out about her. I, I would not. Um, would you freak out in the context of whether or not she's ever going to get the title back from Charlotte? Uh, I don't think she will. So I think that's a problem because I think this should still end with Becky getting the title and validating her claim that Charlotte got into the match and has been presented as the the top woman in the company and that she's the one who beat Asuka and all this other stuff. And speaking of Asuka, where is she? Haven't seen her on SmackDown in like a month or Shinsuke Nakamura, even though I think there was like a com exclusive that he like refused to compete this week or something. But um, yeah, I, I just think that Braun is in a position now where he's getting fed to Roman Reigns as his first guy. Do you remember when, um, uh, who was it? Was it John Cena or maybe it was Batista Triple H like 10 years ago, like right at the WrestleMania and there was the backlash pay-per-view and there is vengeance and the mm-hmm. raw pay-per-views and in the summer, it was a time to establish the new champion, like give them a win against a guy who'd been around for a while. The crowd somewhat cared about, but just the big guy, the Kane role or the big show role or whoever, like you knew they weren't getting the title, but they needed right. someone to throw at their guy that they actually did believe him want to be the top guy just for a couple months before they got into something else. I think that's what Braun is being transitioned into. I think we just saw a heel turn number one for uh, his career where it's going to be like he's going to be a babyface and a heel 17 times like Big Show and Kane throughout his career. I think that's what we found is he's officially Big Show and Kane. Which would be a shame because I think he's way more than that. I would I would tend to disagree with you in the sense that Braun Strowman is just kind of like uh, – uh, you know, obviously Roman Reigns is their pet project and he's been the pet project for the last four years. But I think a lot can still be done with Braun Strowman, a guy who I didn't have a lot of hope for when he first debuted with the Wyatt family. I think he was just like a generic, you know, seven footer, big muscles, power moves, all in that. But, you know, he he came on, he he got the crowd behind him. He has the cool catchphrase, you know, get these hands. And he was starting to really pick up some steam. And I was really disappointed on Raw to see him you know, trying to go with the full heel turn. And I feel like that was done for the sake of having, you know, three guys that you could throw against the shield. You know, they have that six man tag coming up at the super showdown in Australia. I just don't think Strowman was the right guy to put in that spot. And now he's, you know, he's having the main event, the hell in the cell with Roman, which he's probably, you know, not going to win because it's Roman Reigns at this point. It's not probably. He's not winning. Like, he's losing that match. Like, Roman Reigns is getting a long reign. You don't waste this much time with Roman and Brock yeah. and then finally put the title on him only for him to lose it really quickly. Like, Roman's getting a extremely long title reign. So you're so what are you going to do? You're going to throw all of your, like, top stars at, the, at, at Roman yes. until what? WrestleMania? 100%. So you have Strowman. That match gets done Balor. at Hell in a Cell. Balor, Dean Ambrose, maybe, if you turn him heel no, after I don't the think, Shield I think run. they're doing... I think they're doing Ambrose Rollins. I, I think that's the long-term play there. I think they're staying away from challenging Roman. So who else on Raw is there that can be Kevin in that Owens spot? when he comes back. Kevin Owens, Bray sure. Wyatt, maybe. Uh, oh, Bray yeah. Wyatt. I'm not saying it's so. great. Oh, Drew McIntyre. I forgot. He's going to be the fall guy. Like Drew McIntyre, yeah. Yeah, he's going to get multiple title matches, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying that that's where they're going. Well, I don't like it, Chase. I'm not a fan. I, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to another Braun Strowman Roman Reigns match in the first place, and uh, I was kind of excited to see Strowman just cash in 
you know, from behind and and do the the same money. See, the I don't guys. want him He's as always, champion either. Uh, I'm not interested in Braun Strowman as champion at all. We saw Braun Strowman versus Brock. We saw how the feud went with Roman last year. I mean, that was good, but we've seen it before. Like Braun Strowman, and he beat Finn Balor clean. He beat Kevin Owens clean, and he just cleaned house this summer. And they weren't great. They were fine. Like his main event against Finn Balor this summer was fine, but like, no, I'm not interested. Well, you're stuck with it, unfortunately. I know. The right choice was still Seth Rollins, and I continue to push that point. Like, he was the guy they should have pivoted to. Um, the crowd still universally loves him. He can put on a great match with literally anybody. Um, his match against Kevin oh, yeah. this week was the highlight of Fantastic, wrestling yeah. for me this week. Did you see? Okay. So, Rollins, his selling of the stunner, 10 out of 10. Like, not only did Kevin Owens hit the stunner on Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins, I don't know if you saw the way he fell. And yeah. Like leaning back. It was, it reminded me of The Rock. It was The Rock for sure. It was so good though. It was perfect. Wasn't the crowd chanting holy shit after that? Yeah. But I mean the crowd, like this is how good Kevin Owens is, is he got the crowd. Well, not only did he have one of the best five minute promos before the match started, um, that just 10 out of 10, like he was, he's so good and he's not actually gone. So that's, that's nice because if Kevin Owens quit, I would be very, very upset because mm-hmm. Kevin Owens is maybe the best all around professional wrestler in the company right now. I think no one else can do everything that Kevin Owens could do him. Like what do, what do you even call that? Where he flipped directions and then did the moonsault um, that ended up in the curb stomp uh, yeah. this week. Like a springboard flip moonsault off the top yeah. rope. Yeah. It's insane. He his bot like he just should not be able to do that. But he is, and he just he does he sells for everybody. He does that. He goes above and beyond in that regard. He can cut a promo better than anyone in the company, and he can have five star matches with Seth Rollins, who like it, it's just it's amazing. And uh, it made Seth look a million bucks. But it also the crowd wanted Owens to win just from him doing everything else and hitting the stunner. And he had a really good super kick at one point in the match. And I don't know, man. Like Kevin Owens is so good, and Seth Rollins is really good, and I just think we would all enjoy Monday Night Raw a lot more if Seth Rollins was the champion. He was just having great matches with everybody for a year. Kevin Owens has been criminally underutilized this year because all I remember from him of of any merit is him being uh, jobbed out to Braun Strowman, and all those mm-hmm. those quirky segments where you know they they flipped over the car and they tossed him off the stage with with Jinder, and you know getting tossed off the steel cage. That's all I could take away from Owens' 2018. And, you know, his heel stuff with Sami Zayn, which was obviously put on hold because of his injury. But now, I mean, I don't know how long Kevin Owens is going to be off TV. Hopefully not too long. And you got those rumors out there that maybe they'll align him with Paul Heyman. Which, I don't want that. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need someone to talk for him. That's the that's the thing. No. It would be kind of a cool pairing, like a dangerous alliance kind of vibe. But Owens doesn't need a mouthpiece. So I don't no, see the merit should... there. But. It should be Bobby Lashley. If Paul Heyman comes back, it needs to be Bobby Lashley. <laughs> Bobby Bobby Lashley needs a lot more than Paul Heyman. It wouldn't hurt. And Bobby Lashley is actually kind of funny. Like, he does have a good sense of humor, and he does some little things that uh, crack me up sometimes. As long he, as it's not singing. Do, yeah, he could do more than he's doing right now. But I feel bad for him because he's in a bad spot. And I don't know where the right spot is for him in this company right now because SmackDown's full. Um, NXT is obviously full. And Raw, he's just kind of in no man's land. So I, I don't know. He's not in like Bobby Roode no man's land, but he's in. Uh, he's definitely on an island alone. And uh, I don't know what you do with him right now. Well, you're not looking forward to uh, Constable Corbin trying to screw with him like he did for like he did with Finn Balor for the last two months. Lashley's gonna no, be his new uh, t- toy to screw with, you know. 
I have a question. Sure. Did Trish Stratus sound different to you? She sounded older because she's older. Okay. I, just, I didn't know if <laughs> it was because 60. I haven't heard her speak in a long time, but she just sounded off to me. I don't know how to explain it, but I remember like just in my legal pattern, I'm like, I'm going to go back. Or, or, like, I need to go back and watch some old stuff. She doesn't sound the same. She did sound a little bit nervous. Which is, okay. which is, you know, acceptable because she hasn't been in front of 18,000 people for quite a while. I mean, oh, what no, was her last to... appearance? It was the Rumble, right? Uh, yeah. I yeah, so. but she wasn't talking. This is a whole no. other ballgame, you know, one-on-one right. with Elias, who's an incredible speaker. So, yeah, it did seem like she was kind of like, you know, you could hear it in, her, in the tone of her voice a bit. But she caught on. I thought that was a really entertaining segment. I love those two together. Alexa Bliss was awesome. She came out and Alexa was 10 out of 10. Love me some Alexa on the mic. Just mm-hmm. so good. Um, but Elias was a good back and forth with her. Like they, uh, um, I think he said something like, I don't date 63 year olds. Shout out to Elias. Yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't, sorry. You're like one of the groupies or whatever, but I don't date 60 yeah. year olds. And then she, he got smacked. That was awesome. A nice little surprise for Toronto too. Smaking Shout out to Toronto. Sp- yeah, they were great. Um, and they also like on the, on SmackDown this week, uh, the Iconics, there was a Let's Go Raptors chant after they criticized the Raptors. And I know you're familiar with this as a Toronto guy. And I, I think you tweeted about it today. Yeah. Um, the Iconics did not know how to handle it. It was one of those things where I got really excited because I was like, oh, God, they weren't expecting this. Like <laughs> Toronto just jumped in and like had a Let's Go Raptors chant. And you could tell they like you can tell the people that come out there with like a, a, the script just memorized. And they have to stay on script and get through their stuff. And they like they're not allowed to go off script. And like there's not enough enough like experience, that kind of thing to go off script. Mm-hmm. They were nervous. And you could tell that I was like, oh, God, this could get really bad because I don't think they know what to do here if the crowd doesn't stop. <laughs> and uh, it uh, it was great. So I like that because people should do more stuff off the dome and that kind of thing. Like the promos are better. Like Kevin Owens. And Alexa Bliss this week, I don't think that they had an entire script in the back of their mind. I think they just had something like bullet points to hit and they just went in. Um, but yeah, there's it, it was it was funny. I, I love how um, it took, I love how it took the Toronto crowd like 10 seconds to come to a unanimous decision that we're going to chant. Let's go Raptors. And then, yeah, you could see it on Peyton and Billy's face. Like, uh, how do we deal with this? Like we did. Right. We did the Leafs burn on Raw with Elias. Now we're mm-hmm. pooping on the Raptors. Oh, they actually like the Raptors here. Oh, well, I guess we just kind of have to yell uh, our catchphrase at the end to go over these guys. Kevin Owens shouted at, shouted at them in uh, French, and then the crowd was cheering for him to win like 15 minutes later. Oh, a, a Canadian in Toronto is not going to get booed. Like, he'll well, try. No, he he'll got booed and he started sh- like once he said Montreal was a better city than Toronto. Well, that one line, but like, yeah. like in the match, obviously, like he was going to be yeah. the favorite just because, you know, Montreal, whatever. But. It's so difficult for like the hometown Canadian to yeah, generate Christian, heel heat. Christian was like the best example of that, right? In his match with Shelton, yeah. where he was the heel and Shelton was the babyface, and they switched it on the fly um, in the match because uh, it's kind of like that Hulk Hogan rock thing where you just kind of have to react based on how the crowd's going. Um, yeah, it, Canada. Great crowd. They should go to Toronto once a month. That's my new. Uh, my new push for them we got SummerSlam, man i'm stoked about that that is awesome like it's one of those on the surface that should not be but it's like no 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 no, no. toronto's gonna be awesome it's good they did not pick toronto for um like royal rumble or something when it's gonna be cold as shit 
Well, we don't want to hold anything in, in the Rogers Center because that building has seen better days. So Scotiabank really? Arena, yeah, it's a dump now, man. They need to put mm. some more money into that thing. That's why we're not going to have a, a, like a WrestleMania or a Rumble like where they want like the 60,000-seat building. Like this, SummerSlam is fine. And I'm more excited to go to TakeOver because I was at the last TakeOver here when they had the Gargano Ciampa revival two out of three falls. And that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen live wrestling-wise. So I'm more excited for that. SummerSlam, I might try to go to, but it's like six hours long. And I'm not exactly thrilled to be stuck in a chair for that long, even if it is, you know, the second biggest show of the year, arguably. No, the six-hour part is the pre-show, the kickoff portion i think the all right yeah show is 17 hours i'll show up at five o'clock and see like noam dar challenging for the cruiserweight title there were like three kickoff matches this week this year three yeah none of the, none just, of which were worth showing up early for uh well cedric uh, you know what man that he did his best with drew gulak because drew gulak is actually bad and uh cedric alexander is fantastic and i feel bad for him they should be on every main show and uh cedric should be able to have good matches i think he played he's uh facing um my man buddy murphy soon for the title in australia yeah yeah speaking of the australia stuff i want to get your opinion on this do you find it really bizarre and out of place that they're running those promos with the triple h and undertaker stuff and the australia matches because it's like is it kayfabe is it just like I don't understand how it fits in like the weekly television stuff? Like it feels so bizarre. And then HBK is going to be on Raw next week. I mean, that's fine. But like, does it just come off as weird to you? Because it reminded me of like when Two Hundred Five Live would set up the purple ropes at like hour two on Raw. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, am I still watching the same show? What's going on right now? Um, what do you think about that? It's it's a nostalgia match. That's all it is, and it's the it's the one big you know attraction at this Australia show, which they're obviously you know they're trying to build it up. It's it's like the Saudi Arabia show. It's like a it's like a giant arena. You know, sixty seventy thousand people are showing up for this thing, and it's the last time ever. It's cool in a sense, you know, Triple H Undertaker. Although we did you know the end of an era at WrestleMania twenty eight, and that was like the perfect end to all of this. You know, with with those two in HBK at the top of the ramp, hugging, embracing, like that was awesome. That's a moment that I wanted to live forever. And no one wants to see uh, a late forties Triple H against you know early fifties, however old the Undertaker is. We've seen the Undertaker wrestle at, at Mania the last couple of years, and it he's was not exactly so bad. he was terrible. So bad with Cena. Oh my God, the people who are like, oh, he's in good. Cha-. That was an awful five minutes, by the way. Yeah, it was just terrible. He did the hits and it was like one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, he might like break a leg just doing like everything he was doing was awful and choreographed to an extreme extent because he's just not capable of doing anything. Yeah, I don't want to watch Undertaker wrestle anymore. But there's nothing else on this Australia card that's like that's it's really worth your time. Like, oh, my God, wait, isn't Buddy Murphy from Australia? He is from Australia. Oh, we're getting a Buddy Murphy title run. He's going to win in in Australia. That might be the only thing that you should, like, anticipate for this show. Like, Buddy Murphy winning in front of the hometown crowd. That would be really awesome. Yes, I'm here for this. Dude, Buddy Murphy is the guy. Love that dude. He is my favorite finisher in the company right now. And he has so many great main event matches on 205 Live that nobody watches. Yeah. That uh, I very much appreciate. Buddy Murphy is like the biggest surprise, like superstar of the last year for me. Where it's like you would never guess just by looking at him that he's just like this wrestling freak of nature, but uh, he's an athletic freak. His no DQ match with Mustafa Ali is probably oh one God. of the five best matches in WWE this year. Yeah, I would agree. Hard to match that. But uh, back to the Triple H stuff. Uh, it's so weird because this is like 
one of those rare, like extremely rare times where the company is pushing three shows. They got the Super Showdown. They got Evolution coming up soon. They got Hell yeah. in a Cell. And then they got like this random main event between Triple H and Undertaker that just seems so forced into the middle of all of these television storylines. Like, yeah, you get to see all these cool, you know, Hall of Famers like Steve Austin, Ric Flair, Big Show, all these guys kind of chime in on the match. And they're probably making it bigger than it, it really should be because, you know, Triple H, Undertaker, it's not going to be a five-star classic. But I commend them. I applaud them for for trying to boost the you know the interest for this match because i think a lot of you know the the old school wwe fans will obviously care to see this but like the new school guys who just want to see a good wrestling match are going to be like yeah i'll turn it on i'll I'll see who wins probably the undertaker like what was i'm I'm looking back at the history of these of these two guys like has triple h really gone over at undertake on over undertaker at any point like triple h lost at, at wrestlemania 17 he lost the two mania matches and this one, he'll probably lose again. Like, why should I care that these two are fighting again? I don't think you should care. I think it's, I don't even know who it's for when you think about it. Like, the older crowd, I think the people who, like, really were invested in the Triple H character and the Undertaker character from, like, the early 2000s, I don't think they're watching anymore. Like, I don't think the Attitude Era people and, like, that um, it's right before the Ruthless Aggression Era, I don't know if there's a lot of people still do because they're, like, in their 40s now. I don't know if they're watching this product right now. And then that, you know there's no young kids, like, dying to see some Undertaker Triple H. No, no. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know who it's for. Does that, and this certainly won't bring them back and get more subscribers for the network, I would think. No, it'll be depressing because they're like, oh, my God, they're going to, like they're going to look at this match and look at these two of like, holy shit, I'm old. They're old. <laughs> it will get really depressing next Monday yeah. on Raw when I see Shawn Michaels show up with short hair. I'll be like, um, oh my god, now, yeah, these guys are totally old now. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they, wasn't the picture him with the ponytail that they're advertising? Yeah, but he doesn't have that anymore. I know, it's false advertising. Yeah, not cool, guys. Yeah, exactly, get I, an updated picture. He's gonna have the cowboy hat on for sure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I just I just think it's odd. And I think these should be treated as house shows and not kayfabe. Like Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar had that title match there and the greatest Royal Rumble ever. And I don't know, it just it this company already is too convoluted as it is. They don't need to keep adding ways to make this all convoluted. Like I don't understand like it's so difficult to keep up with like storylines and where they're going creatively with so many different shows and so many hours of content that you don't need to keep adding stuff like this. I get the money and it's more money and it's more money for the wrestlers and all that kind of stuff, which is good, but I think it should be treated as house shows where it's like, it's not to advertised on screen, I guess like right. com, put it on social media, but like don't treat it as, if it as if it's something that's happening in the same vortex as Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live, I guess. Well, they have all the money in the world now because of those new television deals, so no one's going to tell them what to do otherwise. So if they want to book Triple H versus The Undertaker, if they want to put Hulk Hogan back in the ring, if they want to put Ric Flair back in the ring, they could do whatever the hell they want, and we can't do a damn thing about it. Okay, well, that's that's great. Um, Did you watch Andrade Cien Almas versus Daniel Bryan this week? I did, yeah. That slap. Maybe one of my favorite moments of the year. I want more slapping in WWE. I've been watching it's, a lot of New Japan lately, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm stoked every time just someone delivers a, a, a massive knife edge shot or a slap to the neck or a slap to the face. Like, I love that stuff. I love stiff shots. Yeah. Oh, so you're getting into New Japan. 
Oh my god. New Japan now. Yeah, yeah we can. Great. I'm still watching uh the final two shows of the G1 climax. I know what happened, mm. but I, I want to see mm. all the matches through. I'm on like I think I have three more. I, I'm on the Saber and Naito from the last night of the B Block. Okay. What do you think about Naito? I love Naito. He's one of my favorites right now. Los and Gobernables de Japon, man. I need to get some gear from Japan. Send it over to Toronto post haste. If anyone's mm-hmm. listening to the podcast right now that, that has access to some new Japan stuff, hook up your boy Walder because that that is hard to get. It's expensive too over there. But New yeah. Japan, I, I've just been more, you know, because WWE has been annoying the hell out of me lately. Like it's been so hard to watch the weekly programming. I still follow it, obviously. Like it, part of it is my job and part of it is just me like – you know, I've been watching it for so many years, it's hard to kind of kick the habit. But I like that there's an alternative out there. I like that there's a different product, a more serious product, you know, with some of the best wrestlers on the planet. You know, I love watching Kenny Omega wrestle. I loved, I think his match with uh, Tomohiro Ishii during the G1 is probably one of my favorite matches of all time now. Like, I put it that high up on that pedestal. And I, I just think there's more variety in New Japan. And I'm excited to see, you know, where they're heading towards Wrestle Kingdom over the next few months. And I'm I'm more invested in that product than I am during these dog days of the summer for WWE where they have so many shows. They don't know exactly what path they're heading down. You know, the rumble is still a while away. So I I like that there's there's one A with with WWE, one B with New Japan. I kind of hold them in the same regard right now. Okay, who is your favorite, though? Because my like, uh, I guess I can spoil it because you do know who won, right? Yeah, I do know who won. Yeah, because everyone spoils everything. Um, my, so well, my, he's gonna be on Ring of Honor. It looks like this fall. He's booked for a couple of Ring of Honor shows. Tanahashi, who I very much enjoy, love me some Tanahashi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought uh, it was the right choice over Kota Ibushi because people uh, really bought into the Kota Ibushi, and this is usually used as a um, jumping uh, jumping off point for younger talent to kind of. Um, it's their equivalent of the money in the bank. And so that's another thing I like about New Japan, though, is that you never know what they're going to throw you in terms of a match result. Like they always, they, yeah. like Gato or, or I forget, is it Jado or Jado or Gato, who's like the, the Gato. booker? Gato, yeah. He he always loves throwing a curveball. I think everyone went into this tournament thinking the finals was probably going to be like Okada versus Ibushi. And I never thought, thought Okada, like him, it's just he had a, such a long run that but and you still I want to Okada. he's my favorite guy in new japan but yeah. like the way they've transitioned his character into a goofy um baby face i i don't know and i, I mean tanahashi versus omega is a fresh match but i just thought yeah uh, with the with the b block you have abushi go over omega you have abushi win the block you could probably get two title matches you know from the win itself in the b block plus the title shot at wrestle kingdom like that's like your blockbuster match right now but that is to the blockbuster because it's. I don't think they can do Ibushi Omega yet. But then again, like, how long do you think you have Omega? So, and there's so much money in Ibushi versus Omega. Yeah. So, Golden Lovers going at it. But I don't know. I mean, I know Tanahashi's not beating Omega. Uh, yeah, it, it really does depend what his contract situation is because it comes yeah. off the book, books in January, correct? I want to say that's right because uh, isn't it omega the young bucks and cody all yeah. around the same time i think that's the rumor exactly yeah so speaking if, of contracts neville apparently free of his finally oh boy oh boy all in let's go he's gonna be there i hope so they're they're teasing uh, the hell out of that yeah um and i'm surprised he doesn't have like one of those like non-compete 
disclosures in his contract, like where he has to wait like four months before he can compete for a another brand. Like this guy, like legitimately, might show up at All In. He might. I, I expect him to be in that battle royal and facing off for the ROH title later in the show, which he might win if that's the case. Oh man, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can say though, I'm not excited for Cody versus Nick Aldis. I don't know if you've watched any Nick Aldis matches this year. I have. Um, they're uh, not good. Well, he's never been a. I remember him being better like five years ago in TNA with Magnus as a babyface. For whatever reason, I maybe I misremembered that as I was a younger kid and I just didn't realize what it was. But I, I yeah. don't know. I like to stop. Not good. He had that that really decent tag team run with uh, Samoa Joe, which I liked mm. when they were the champions. Um, Samoa but as like Joe, a... man, what a month for him! <laughs> Thank God he's getting the push that he deserves with this feud with AJ Styles. Like he's been, I mean, he's been, been gold on the mic. I have been banging the drum that like AJ should probably keep the belt until WrestleMania and give a big rub to somebody. But like Joe is really testing me in this regard because he has been so good and him winning the belt from AJ in the Hell in a Cell and just keeping this blood feud going. I, it's getting harder for me to be like, are we sure we don't just pull the trigger on Joe because of just how good he's doing? I, I just, I don't know. I, I love them both so much, but Samoa Joe has just been so freaking good. And his match against AJ at SummerSlam was awesome. And I, I was okay with the non-finish. But uh, yeah, no, there's still a lot of meat on this bone. And it's it's been good. They've been wrestling each other all over the planet. They have a good chemistry. They have a good rapport. Like, this was inevitable that these two were going to clash in WWE. And I agree with you. Like, I didn't really need a finish at SummerSlam. The way it was handled with Joe talking smack on the announce table to his wife and his kid, to AJ's wife and kid, and then AJ just going nuts. Like, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised they're not going to fight in the cell because I feel like this is the feud that almost deserves it. Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton, obviously, they're, they're really trying to boost that. And Jeff Hardy, you know, probably dive off the cell or whatnot. That's cool. But, like, AJ and Joe just, like, beating the crap out of each other with, like, weapons inside of a, a 15-foot structure. Like, that's the visual I want. For this feud but i just want these guys to keep going i want them to go the distance like the nakamura styles feud did where they were wrestling each other like every month on pay-per-view you know four or five times like these two deserve like that that pre primo match that just like steals the show steals the year like this is the feud that i want more on my tv more and more each week yeah i mean it's it's great and i've I just I can't uh, say enough nice things about this. This has gone really well. I will say AJ needs to be wrestling more matches on SmackDown. I feel like I have not seen an AJ Styles SmackDown match in three and a half months. He's been doing a lot of just entering promos, like where he's standing yeah. at the corner of the stage talking to Renee Young or whatever, and he's, he's not running around chasing Joe in the parking deck. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I need I need a match. I need something because there's a bunch of guys that come in and out. Um. Another guy. Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy, another feud where it's like both are making good points, but like love that feud. I would have never guessed in 2018 I would enjoy a Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton feud, but it it works for whatever reason. Like it works. Randy Orton is just in his element as guy who, or I shouldn't even say guy, asshole who just enjoys picking on people. Like that is just what he's always been good at. Like that's what the legend killer did so well was that he targeted fan favorites like Mick Foley he targeted uh Hulk Hogan the Undertaker guys like that he's just really good at just being a dick to superstars like 
I, I just, it's his bread and butter. And when he's motivated like this, um, it's really good. And I've really enjoyed this feud. And uh, Jeff Hardy yelling, you're going to hell, Randy, is a 10 out of 10 pro wrestling moment for me. And then he did the, the Randy Orton pose at the end. Yeah. With the delete chance. That was cool. They were good. That was a really good back and forth. It felt genuine. And it was a good reminder of like, these two are really good at their jobs. Like they're, they're up there in age, but it's, uh, it's nice to have them around for right now. I just don't know how many more matches Jeff Hardy has in him. And I'm, I'm honestly like, I know. Well, what, is that he, just because Matt Hardy's done? Well, no, Jeff Hardy, he had that interview that, that circulated recently where he was like, oh, I only do the Swanton on like special occasions or like mostly right, television yeah. because my back is really acting up. And he has said in the past that Hell in a Cell is like that one match on this bucket list that he wants to get done before he retires. And you know, if he's in Hell in a Cell, he's going to ask to dive off the top of that thing. And at this point yeah. in my life with wrestling, like if this was like the late nineties where, where Mick Foley was getting tossed off and it was like spontaneous and it looked, the visual was awesome. That's different. But now it, it feels like it's been done to death with the Shane, the Shane McMahon stuff. Like we just saw Kevin Owens a couple of months ago getting tossed off a cage and I'm not really eager to see Jeff Hardy try and kill himself by swan taunting off an, uh, off the cell through an announce table, which mind you has those, those damn uh, pillows underneath it that always pop out when the, when the table combusts. But at the same time, it may, it may be, and maybe this is like his last hurrah. Maybe this is his last match for a while. He needs to take some time off rehab that back of his, but I know he's going to want to like have that one massive spot and I hope he doesn't overdo it and live to regret it. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. I don't, I didn't really thought about it, but I guess he's, he could be gone too. It's amazing. They've already been back for almost a year and a half. Yeah. No, their, their run has had uh, more misses than hits, but I think Jeff Hardy was obviously more potential was there as him as a single star, the Matt Hardy stuff. They butchered from the very beginning with the broken Matt Hardy. And I'm disappointed how that ended. And he, he'll probably what, like be an agent now moving forward with like the occasional yeah. one-off match, I guess. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like thumbs in the middle on the Hardy since they came back. He could go back to NXT and join the other uh, tag team superstars that uh, went off into the sunset. Scotty Tohati, uh, Matt Bloom. Mm-hmm. D- all those guys. Devon is on Raw? Is he? I think so. He's on one of the shows as an agent. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Noble. Who else is is Joey Mercury still an agent? Who knows? I don't think Finley is an agent. Finley, yeah. Working with a woman. Yeah. Um Yeah. Uh last thing and then we'll go. Uh what do you make of the way they use Ronda Rousey this week? Well, like with her with her interactions with what, like the Bellas and, and Trish Stratus like, and she's whatnot? there. And also, is the brand split dead? The Bell Twins can they disappear on both shows? Unless, <laughs> unless you're John Cena, Undertaker, or the Bella Twins. Yeah, they were on both shows, and it's just normal. No one's like, "Wait, yeah. what show are you on?" Then you retire, and also love the Bree Mode entrance back. But uh, <laughs> on the flip side, unbelievably, she is still as awful, awful in the ring as I remember. Like her selling and just Maurice looked ten times better than Brie Bella in the ring in that. Uh, beat down it was amazing how bad brie bella still is i was blown away i would have assumed it's amazing that like the daniel bryan dichotomy between the two of them uh just because daniel bryan is so good right brie bella is so bad but uh love nikki bella 
she's still one of my favorites and i miss her on uh, smackdown but um yeah it's the brand split is uh dead and john cena might be dead too if he doesn't eat soon no he's getting pretty jacked for this next film role of his he looks so weird he's got veins on top of veins on top of veins growing the hair out yeah i could live without the hair he he doesn't look good with hair some people just need a shaved head and he's one of them yeah it's uh he looks bizarre uh, he looks like uh mark Wahlberg was like exposed to radiation or something oh man gamma rays (laughs) yeah um but yeah no rousey like if you have like she's one of three i guess superstars that they really have in the company they call them all superstars but it's not true it's really lesnar rousey cena and that's about it right like could you really say anybody else is like a superstar that like everybody knows about even if they don't watch the wwe with mainstream appeal yes those guys roman's not there yet no um so yeah i just i think when you have her around i don't know what her contract situation is and like how many dates she's booked and like all that kind of stuff but like if you have her there she should be doing more. She should be in more segments. Like, go ahead and cut Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin for the 19th time. That match got, like, 15 minutes this week. We, I was blown away by how long that match. He even restarted it for an even longer match. It was a great heel move of, like, oh, you thought it was over? No, you're getting five more minutes of this. Um, <laughs> it, uh, oh, God. It's I can't do it anymore. It's a weekly thing for Raw that it starts off with a 20-minute Baron Corbin match. I, I just can't anymore. Uh, Finn Balor, please do something else i i beg of you to just do whatever else you can do um i thought the demon uh stint at SummerSlam was the start of something great for him but no he should have come out like explaining it they should have done a promo they should have done something where it's like they uh, baron corbin was like so why do you bring the demon like get to the bottom like let him talk about his character like why don't you use it more often why do you only use it in the like finn balor needs to be done more promos because i think if you're gonna like that's a better way to utilize him at this point than having him take 15 minute matches with Baron Corbin because that's not helping anybody and being jobbed out like that, yeah, that was that, that was that there was that like two year storyline of him trying to get his uh, universal title shot. And then, you know, the night after SummerSlam, Oh, we're just going to, we're just going to get through this as quickly as we can. So everyone can shut the hell up about it. He hasn't been in a universal title match since, right? Uh, he, besides the, the one-on-one with Roman, right? But that wasn't for the title. That was for the title. <laughs> No. Yeah, it was, yeah. I didn't think it was. It was for the title. Remember Roman came oh, up, like, I'm going to give Maybe up a fighting yeah, champion. Yeah. I'm going to give the shot right, 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 right. waited since he was, had to, was stripped of it because of injury or whatever. So, right. Yeah. Okay. I For whatever reason, I did not realize that, that was for the title. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that was the first one since he lost it after the injury, having to relinquish it. It probably was, yeah. And that was like two years ago. Maybe three years ago. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just think Rousey should be used more. When you have her around, you should not be having her just like come out with Natalia and not say anything and just make faces. And I, I just, I don't get it. Like if you're trying to make her a big star, she needs to be a bigger part of the show every week. She needs to be a badass, but not like a badass yeah. heel. She needs to be still over as a baby face because she's your money. She's your money ticket for the women's division, but she can't be smiling and, and posing on the ring ropes with like Trish Stratus and Natalia. Like I don't get that as being a positive for her. It, it makes no, her, it gives right her more appeal you. to like, you know, children or whatever. And she is, yeah, she, she's probably the biggest star in the entire company right now with Brock Lesnar, you know, going back to the UFC. So I want her handled better, but at the same time, it's like, she's still learning. They're still trying to like figure out her voice. They're still trying to figure out like the image that they want for this character. And I still, it's still a work in progress. So 
And now what? They're going to, like, for Evolution, the main event, like, her and Nikki Bella probably. Like, I keep, I, the Nikki Bella backstage promo this week, which was, like, the corniest. Is she cleared? Cl- I thought she had to re- retire because of her neck. Uh, well, she was probably, if they're having her wrestle at Evolution, yeah. Yeah. She's probably killer. She's wrestling on Monday Night Raw next week in that yeah. uh, tag match. Yeah. So she's obviously fine. And now That's she's going to fight Rousey. So. Mm. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what? All this time, Rousey's come out and said, I'm going to be on Raw every single week. I'm not going to be like Brock Lesnar. I'm not a part-timer. I'm here to learn. I'm here to be in front of the camera. I'm here to be in front of you guys. And she's lived up to that end of her bar- of the bargain. So I'm glad. Let her beat not, the like, shit out of Dana Brooke instead of having Dana Brooke versus Sasha Banks. She shouldn't be selling for, like, the Alicia Foxes or the Dana Brookses of the world. Like, she needs to be mm. just, like, running through friggin' everybody. And I'm glad they did that at SummerSlam with, like, her squash of Alexa Bliss. But now carry on with that. Like Nia Jax, at least she had to sell for her because she, Nia Jax is bigger and stronger. But with everybody else on that roster, like Ronda Rousey should just be breaking arms, cashing checks, kicking ass. That should be her shtick. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hopefully they adjust things going forward because just it's not the right way to use her at this point. Um, use she, her more. Ronda Rousey is actually good. Use her more. Does she main event WrestleMania this year? No. Is she in it? Well, she'll be in a headlining match, but what was? Yeah, the rumor, like, I just don't Charlotte? think as long as Vince McMahon is the final signal caller, that's happening. I think when Triple H takes over, you're going to see that happen a lot more, but uh, not as long as Vince is still running things. They're obsessed with like these first time ever's for the women's division, and I feel like mm. the only thing that's left now is WrestleMania main event. Yeah, I We're getting uh, there. If it's not this year, it's going to be in the coming years. Like it's going to happen, and maybe under Vince's I just regime, don't think it's going to happen as long as Vince has control. I really don't. Because who in that spot would make sense as like a, a viable main event with Rousey? Charlotte's the only person that makes sense. And if you were, yeah, if you were gonna, it was Oscar until they uh, yeah. ended up this year. Um, and what a disappointment that's been. Yeah, I don't. I guess it is probably that makes the most sense. We talked about this before on the show. Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler. Yeah. No, they'll they'll team up as like a horsewoman yeah. horsewoman thing. And but, but I mean, she's such a good heel that like I think there is. Um, something really potentially entertaining about a, a Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler feud for the title, but um, I don't think it's big enough to headline a. I, I don't know. You're right. I'm really not certain about that. And we've talked about this before on the show. Like everyone down in NXT, and that that roster is as deep as it's ever been. You know, and they just added Matt Riddle, which is crazy on top of all the other guys that they have. But do you think like all of these like independent stars that come in, they look up at the main roster and some of the names that have transitioned and like like an Asuka, for example, and even Kevin Owens to a to a lesser extent, at least like the past year. Do they look at these guys and girls and be like, man, it almost benefits me to just kind of suck it up with like making less money and just stay down here because I'll be way more over than I would be wrestling on a three hour Monday Night Raw every week. Um. That's tough because there's two parts to that, which is one, like I would never discourage anyone from making more money. And I think the paycheck for WWE is a little bit bigger than uh, working the independents. So if that's what you want to do, I understand. Do I think it's good for your career to get into NXT if you're younger? No. Um, I think it benefited guys like Ricochet to be out there because, I mean, he's in his early 30s now. Um, I even would have liked Adam Cole is still a superstar, but like I would have liked to see him stay on the indies. Like what made CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and uh, Kevin Owens and guys like that 
big names and they were able to come in with their own commitment. Like even AJ Styles, just imagining like what would have happened to him if he had joined the company like, I don't know, 10 years ago and risen through the ranks that way. Like it's just, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but he was a big deal because of um, what he did in New Japan. Like that's the reason he became a top guy and got a top guy contract in the company. And I think if Matt Riddle had stayed away for like three to five more years, and uh, won a lot of more titles and all that kind of stuff, then it would have benefited him a lot more. Like Kenny Omega, if he comes in, he's not going to NXT. He's going straight to the top. Like he's getting... Oh, definitely, yeah. So I think it just depends on... It's a risk. It's far... Because you never know what injuries and everything else might happen. But like, um, I think it's something worthwhile because I think you can develop your character better and you can get more opportunities. Like Juice Robinson, he was terrible in NXT. CJ Parker and all that did not work. But now Mm -hmm. he's away in new japan and he's a different guy and he's just putting on great matches and all that kind of stuff and i hope he stays there for like five years and then if WWE wants to call back be like oh you want to come back and see no i'm gonna be juice robinson and i'm getting talk money and all this other stuff like i think it uh it be- it behooves a lot of guys to stay away for as long as possible and uh just get better and better um on the indies and then like in their 30 like have a big enough fan base where people are really losing their minds um once you do arrive because they've been watching you um in the indies for 10 to 15 years there needs to be some main roster cuts coming yep i don't want to i i don't feel comfortable ever just like demanding people get their lose their job no 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 of course gross but like they do they they do need to like mix things up i don't know where these people are going like the nxt men's roster where are they supposed to go? I legitimately thought the Ascension was a thing until they did that handicap match. It's uh, it's weird, man. Too many, too many names, not enough time. Yeah, um, we'll see. Anyway, Chris Wilder, <laughs> this was fun. I'm glad we were able to do this today. Yeah, man, it's been a while. Thanks for having me back on. We we got to talk some more wrestling. There's a lot of big stuff coming up. A lot of big shows. You know, and uh, I always love chatting wrestling with you, man. So whenever you want to have me on, I'll make it happen. Yeah. Well, we can follow you on Twitter at Walter Sports. We can read you at the score. Um, is We're recording this on a Thursday. Is there anything coming out this week that we should check out from you? I got some NBA offseason grades pieces coming out with the rest of the NBA team at the score. So be sure to check that out next week. I'm actually going to be going on vacation for the first time in three years. I'm heading to Disney World with my girlfriend on Tuesday. Okay. So I'm really Never stoked about Disney that. World. Oh man, Never you got to go, man. This is the ma- most magical place on earth. You can't help but smile there. And I'm going during a food and wine festival, so there's going to be plenty of booze for yours truly. Okay. There you go. All right, man. Well, be safe. Enjoy it. And uh we will talk in soon, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks, Chris. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am joined now by Andy Vasquez. Andy, good evening. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because um, the Jets have a lot going on, man. Are, are you burnt out from Jets coverage yet? I know it's a, <laughs> you haven't even gotten started with the season, but uh, a lot's going on. Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater getting traded, um, just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy preseason, but it beats the alternative which was last year when there was nothing to talk about. So I will take it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, it's really weird because it, there's a lot of optimism in Jets land right now, right? Are the fans pretty hyped up about where their team is going right now? I would say so. I'd, I'd say people are a little excited about the quarterback. I don't know if you've heard of him. 
he was picked third mm-hmm. overall in the draft. Right, right. <laughs> People are pretty pumped about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, this is my third year covering the team, and it was a lot of doom and gloom the first two years, and for a good reason, obviously. And it's a little different now. Um, and I think obviously that has a lot to do with Darnold, and it just has a lot to do with uh, general, generally where the team is at and, and what they're expected to be this year, which is uh, a team that makes notable progress. So. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting and interesting time, and uh, it's much more fun to cover a team, you know, where where there's some optimism around. Now that might change in two weeks, once the season starts and the games count. But it's been a nice change of pace for training camp. Do you think there's a win total that uh, the Jets have to hit for um, Mike and Todd Bowles to keep their jobs as GM and head coach this year? Well, I mean, if it's worse than five, there's going to be trouble. I would say. Okay. I mean. I mean, if you go three years in a row with, with five or, or fewer wins, mm. um, that, that it's hard to spin that at a certain point. And I think Bulls have been given the benefit of the doubt by us and, and by the fans, not all the fans, but, but by us, because, you know, we've seen what he's had to work with in the quarterback room. Um, if they can't show some sort of progress this year, uh, especially Bulls, I think his job could be in jeopardy. Okay. Six wins. It's a lot of pressure to throw on a rookie quarterback. Sam Donald, welcome to the big time. You're yeah, already I mean, on the well, clock to save your coach and uh, GM in year one. Well, well, I think if if they lose some games because of Darnold, I think that'll actually play into Bowles' kind of favor because if, he, if they're in these close games and Darnold makes these mistakes, has these growing pains down the stretch, I think you're in a different, you're talking something different. So it's all going to depend on how Darnold plays. If Darnold's playing well and um, they're in games and they keep losing close ones like they did last year, then it's going to start to look like the Jets have a coaching problem and a problem finishing out games. Okay. Um, what is the, like, when you look at this team and you look at the difference between what Morton did, because I feel like that was such an under-talked-about storyline last year, was just mm-hmm. uh, what they were able to get out of this offense, even though it was kind of a depressing season. Like, they still did a lot of cool stuff, and Morton has this pedigree from USC, working in uh, New Orleans and all this stuff, and then he was just gone. And then they just promoted Jeremy Bates yeah. to OC, and it was just like this... It just thing that happened and now it's just like oh the Jets offense is gonna be fine they have Jeremy Bates now but it was like Morton was really good for them um what happened there I never got a straight answer on that do you know I mean it's not uh, there's not one straight answer which is probably why you haven't gotten one um there are a lot of things I think philosophically there's there's no denying that the Bulls wanted to run the ball more than they did under Morton and I think that is probably the biggest reason that they changed things I mean you can't argue that Morton didn't meet or exceed expectations last year, yeah. given how putrid that offense was supposed to be. I think maybe on, on a personality level, um, they didn't mesh either. I mean, I know that there were some disagreements between Bulls and, and Morton philosophically. And then on, a, on that personal level, I, I know he rubbed some of the players the wrong way. Mm. Um, and to me, one of the things you know, that, you know, it probably, I don't know, a hundred percent, but just knowing being around bowls and knowing the way he deals with things. When Morton said that, um, they kind of intentionally mailed it in at the end of the Denver game and said mm-hmm. that very publicly the next, uh, the next Thursday, I think that mm-hmm. probably didn't sit super well with bowls. Just, just okay. a hunch. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so he sounds kind of like a, just a free spirit, like a Todd Haley type where it's just like, he really doesn't care about like he just he, he has no filter it sounds like yeah he, i mean he was good with us he was good with yeah. the media and, and it was an interesting guy to talk to uh but yeah i just don't think it was a, a great fit 
with Bowles. But like I said, it would be hard to it would be hard to argue that he didn't have the a results. good year. And yeah. I think that's why people feel a lot more comfortable with the Jets' offense this year because you know they know the system isn't changing a lot from what it was last year. And you know, we also I would just know be more concerned, know man. Something. Like Jeremy Bates has not been an OC in a long time in the NFL, and it's just he resurfaced like he was out of the league, and now he's just the OC. I don't know. There's just I still have some sort of trepidation with the Jeremy Bates thing. I, I don't there know. There should be. I mean, if you consider that he probably has the most important job in the coaching staff right now because right. he's the guy who's going to be working, you know, hand in hand with Donald to make him what he's going to be. But I mean, he's looked, the play calling has looked good in the, in the, uh, in the off season. I think the, the reason or in the preseason, I think some of the reason there's less maybe trepidation, people are more willing to let it go is because a lot of the question marks that were there last year, especially in the receiving core have been answered. Like, you know what you have for sure in Robbie it's Anderson. It's suddenly you know deep. Curse, yeah, you know what Curse is solid. You know what a Nunwa can be. You know what Pryor can be. You know they've got at least two or three guys who are, who are good enough, and their tight end room is good, too. So I think there's more weapons to work with. But, you know, you would, you'd hope that, they'd see, that you'd see improvement on offense this year with Bates, because if you don't, it's going to be a failure for him. Do you think that's why Isaiah Crowell and uh, Thomas Rawls are now in New York is this change to they're going to run the ball a lot more and they're not going to put a lot of pressure on Sam Darnold in year one? I don't I don't know. I mean, let's see how it plays out. It's going to depend on how good Darnold looks when he's put in these situations where he throws down the field during games. Um, but I do think that with Powell and, and Crowell back there, I mean, it's going to be, a, you know, they're going to see, we're going to see more running last year than last year. And I think maybe they'll use Crowell the way you thought they'd use Forte before you mm-hmm. realize he was on one leg, which is as yeah. a pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, I think you'll see a lot of that. I would, I would not be surprised if the Jets running backs get a lot of action catching passes out of the backfield this year, just because that's going to be kind of a safety valve for Donald. Okay. Um, and you know that like the way the receivers are set up, like Robbie Anderson just like he owes a lot to John Morton last year because uh, mm-hmm. he broke through. And I mean, there was some off season stuff where it was kind of concerning about whether or not he's going to be part of the team and all that stuff, but he's there and like he's a really talented guy and him and curse and prior, depending on how that works. But Anua, who was just another rock star for them last year out of nowhere. Um, it's a good three man group with uh priors, the wild card. I just, I wonder if they're going to just have to, and if they do commit to running the ball early, like it's just like, what are you doing? You have, so you've uh, you suddenly have depth in the receiving core. Like you have to let Sam Darnold air it out. Now, one of the things they've said is that they haven't. We haven't seen Darnold throw the ball deep in the in the preseason, just because, mm-hmm. according to Bowles, which you never know if he's really being one hundred percent truthful. Um, he said they're just working on things, and that hasn't been one of the things they're working on. But I mean, if you if you know Darnold and you watched him in college and you know what his personality is like, he's quiet but he's very confident. He likes taking risks in games. He's trying to figure out what risks he can take on the NFL level. If they let him drop back, he's going to throw the ball into tight places. He's going to take make some risky throws because he thinks he can do it. Um, yeah. Is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? We're going to find out pretty soon. What is the biggest weakness on this team heading into this season? I would say the pass rush. I mean, the fact that they have a good defense and they cannot get any pressure on the quarterback, and they haven't been able to with the starters in in either of these last two preseason games. I mean, that is disturbing to me um, because a secondary can only be a dominant secondary if it has, you know, you can't cover a D, uh, an offense for like 30 seconds every snap. I mean, right. if, if, if the secondary is having to 
be in coverage for 10 seconds and every quarterback that drops back has time, they're, it doesn't matter how good the secondary is, they're going to get picked apart. So, well, it um, sounds like they should call Vernon Golston. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a bad... That thing, I think that could undo the whole defense. And then having this one weak leak on the on the defense undermines everything else you do. That that to me is a major concern. I think more than anything, um, I mean, I think the defense has the potential to be the strongest unit on the team, but that's not going to happen unless they put pressure on the quarterback. So yeah. that that's worrisome to me. But they just their safety depth is insane. Um, I still like their corners. Mm-hmm. It's like one. It's a weird situation because, like you said, their pass rush is going to be bad. But thankfully, they at least have a good secondary. And Todd Bowles, like we know, when he came from Arizona, like that's what they were known for there. So, it, but they also still had a good pass rush. They had Clayus Gamble. They had guys on the edge who could actually do that stuff. But still, um, having Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, all those guys, yeah. like it helps. And, uh, um the Jets are going to have to put a lot of pressure on their young secondary. That's really talented. Like Marcus may and Jamal Adams are really good, but uh, if there's no pass rush, they're going to be challenged a lot early and often. Yeah. I mean, I think what you'll see more of this year is now that this is the fourth year and most of the personnel has been here for several years is Bowles is going to take more risks in terms of blitzing in terms of being a little bit more exotic with some of his schemes and trying to give um, offenses different looks. But, um, like I said, unless you can get to the to quarterback, it really doesn't matter. They need to put some pressure. Maybe Nathan Shepard comes out and surprises everybody and is is ready to make an impact and getting to the quarterback. He's certainly big enough and strong enough and fast enough. Um, but that's a lot to ask a kid who played Division Two football last year. So yeah, um, he's not really a kid, a twenty five year old, but it's still a lot and to he, ask. He's penciled in to start, definitely. right? Yeah, it sure. It, it looks like he's going to start opposite he's, of, of Leonard Williams. He's done everything and that's the other thing is like Leonard Williams is supposed to, he's a six overall pick 2015 he's supposed to be a game changer um even if defenses are scheming against him every game they they scheme against other great players who don't have a lot of help on the defensive lines across the league and they're able to make an impact so this is really a referendum year for him it's time for him to start getting to the quarterback no matter what he faces yeah um Question on Casey Rogers the second. Is that the defensive coordinator's son? Yes. Okay. That's yeah. amazing. When does that I don't Pretty has that cool. ever happened? No, you know, I don't know the history of the league well enough to tell you definitively. I'm sure I mean I'm I feel like it's happened with some coaches. Yeah. But um I mean it's there's it, he had a interception in practice back early in training camp and you could see Casey Senior was a. Uh, or Casey Jr., I guess his dad was was beaming on the sideline, and it's, it's a cool story. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. he's not going to make the team. I, don't, I mean, it would be uh, stunning if he made the team, but yeah. but um, I mean, it's nice having him around. He could definitely be a practice squad guy for the Jets. They brought him in for a workout uh, late last season, and uh, yeah, it's a cool. It's definitely a cool thing. Okay, so if you had to put pencil in like how the season goes for the Jets, uh, let's start with: Do they win Week One against Detroit? Um, and then, uh, how do you think the season unfolds for them? I, I think they do. I just have a feeling that Detroit team doesn't have much to it. Okay. Um, so a breakout game in week it's, one. It's so the not, hype machine starts in Detroit. Yeah, it's gonna, I, I mean, I think they have a chance of getting off to a good start to the season. I mean, if you look at the division, the division isn't strong. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but one of these years, the Patriots aren't going to be very good. It's going to happen eventually. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll be fantastic forever, but. At a certain point, they're going to have an off year. 
Um, so you're looking at week one and, and a chance to win at home at week two against the Dolphins, and then Browns week three. So there's a chance they could be two and one or three and oh heading into Jacksonville. And um, yeah, I, I mean that would get the hype machine started. But I mean, really early in the season when you have three games in eleven days, it's gonna a lot of it's gonna ride on Darnold and how he looks and if he's ready. Uh, it's one thing to be ready in the preseason, and another thing to be ready when the games count for real and defenses are throwing looks at you you've never seen before. So um, if Darnold is as good and as poised as he appears to be right now, there's no reason that the Jets can't win these first three games and head into Jacksonville with a winning record. So what, give me a win-loss I mean, total. Oh, yeah, what's yeah. That? Oh, no, give me a win-loss I mean, total. Yeah, you put me on the spot. I've already done yeah. it. The last time I told somebody this, I got made fun of on Canadian radio. So let's mm. see if it goes a little better. I think the Jets are going to go 9-7. and seven. I do. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. I, I just have a feeling that they were they were close last year. I think they turned the corner and learned how to win some of these games that they didn't shut the door on last year. I think they're going to be on the fringe of playoff contention. Um, I just have a feeling about this team. Now, it sure didn't. I made that prediction before I saw them play the Giants the other night. They looked sloppy and Mm-hmm. They look like a bad football team, so maybe I'm wrong. But um, you know, I just think they're going to find a way to to make enough plays to win some of these games. I think they're going to be in most of their games, and I think they have enough talent. I think they're more talented than they were last year. They pretty much upgraded across the board pretty much every position except for the offensive line, which wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to have the chance to have a really good season. Or not okay. a really good season, but but be on the fringe of playoff contention. Nine and seven is a really good season for the Jets. It would be, but, especially given the situation they're in, where most people view them to be a year or two away from from being even a playoff contender. So yeah, yeah. I, I think they're going to push that playoff contention thing a year forward. In the NFL, you never know. Um, you know, things tend to tend to swing more quickly than in other sports, and um, I think this team has a chance to to definitely turn things around quickly. Uh, last thing, then we'll go. Um, okay. When, let's say a year from now, does it does the Teddy Bridgewater trade still look good for the Jets and still look good for the Saints, or um, how does it look? If you look into your crystal ball, clairvoyant Andy, how does this look back uh, a year from now? Uh, if I was clairvoyant, I wouldn't be a sports writer. I'd just be gambling. But um, <laughs> no. so. I think both teams are going to be happy they made that trade, and I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be happy about it too. I mean, there's a legitimate chance that Bridgewater can come in and, and two years from now be the guy who takes over for Drew Brees, or if he, you know, has a solid year playing number two, learning more, he can hit the open market and, and be a good quarterback. I wasn't as sold on Bridgewater as everybody else was from watching him play with the Jets. I thought he looked good, and I thought. Um, Obviously, it was a win for him coming back from what happened two years ago today with that injury um, and, and being able to run around on a football field and take hits and um, and and be a functional quarterback. And I thought that was a victory for him and a good sign. But, I mean, I didn't think he was head and shoulders past Darnold, which a lot of other people thought. I mean, I thought they were both pretty much on the same level. And um, so I won't ever fault the Jets for making that trade. I think um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of moves you can fault McCagden for. Hackenberg, um, you know, some of his draft classes have been pretty awful. But this trade, I mean, he basically paid a million dollars to get a third-round pick. That in the NFL these days, that's that's great. And he and he gave the quarterback room 
a good competition, exposed Darnold to another proven veteran before he played his first NFL game. Um, I don't think the Jets are going to look back and regret trading Teddy Bridgewater. I think he was never going to be their future once they drafted Sam Darnold at number three overall. That ship had sailed. I mean, he's the quarterback of the future. Imagine if Darnold had comes in and struggles the first three weeks and Teddy Bridgewater sitting there on the, on the bench. Um, yeah. Just imagine what kind of a mess that would be. So I think there's really no other way to spin this other than it was a, a nice job by McCagnan, um, a nice job of, of seeing an opportunity in the offseason and, and using it to the Jets' advantage. And then if, if the Jets somehow make a trade for somebody else, maybe a pass rusher in the next couple of weeks, and use that third round pick that they picked up for trading Bridgewater, it could look even better. So no, we want McCown chance in week four, Donald. I, don't think, I mean, every fan base has irrational people. If mm-hmm. even if Donald comes out and looks like dog, you know what, for the first three weeks, if fans are chanting for McCown, they're irrational. <laughs> They've got some issues. I mean, a thirty nine year old quarterback. It'd be a good um, day on Twitter though. It's just it's yeah, it would, but it would be a waste of time for the Jets. I mean yeah. A 39-year-old quarterback is not going to be with the team next year, obviously. Um, he might be the OC. You know, Who knows? Yeah, he's, he's certainly not going to be with, this, with the team as a quarterback. So yeah. I think it would be a waste of time. Uh, and I think the Jets are going to be very happy with the way their quarterback situation has turned out. But we'll see. All right. Andy Vasquez, we can follow you on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez. We can read you. At the record, the North, the it, like, so this it's NorthJersey.com, but it's also yeah. the record. It's a, it's a lot going on there. Yeah, part of the USA Today network too. So yes. I mean, we're just hitting, touching all the bases. So right. yeah, best place to find my work, unless you're living in Bergen County, New Jersey, is NorthJersey.com. All the good stuff is there, and Twitter. I'm very controversial and funny on Twitter. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not, but I'm working on it. So you can follow me. <laughs> there you go, um, and don't be mean to Andy if he gets that 9-7 and seven prediction wrong. Leave him alone. I'm He's sure people best. will be... I don't care. Be mean. I don't care. I took a <laughs> shot. These guys can come at me. I don't mind. I'm, I'm friendly. I go. can take criticism. All right. He, there you go. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, good luck this season. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Welcome back to the Chase News Podcast. I am now joined by Michael Lombardi, former front office executive in the NFL, now an author, host of the Ringer NFL show with Tate Frazier. You have a lot of hats now, Mike. Yeah, yeah, and also write for The Athletic. Yeah, I think in this day and age, Chase, is, you know, you probably are going to learn, you gotta got to do a lot of different things as you are. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you got to stay busy and you got to be uh, flexible. You got to be versatile in uh, your skill set. But um Mike, so you have this new book out, Gridiron Genius. Um, what made you want to write a book? Well, you know, I've, I've always been, uh, the idea of the book has been in my head for a long time. I wanted to, uh, from the time I worked with Coach Walsh in San Francisco, when I would drive him around as a young uh, young man working, trying to work my way into football, you know, he would share things with me and I thought about the things he said and then I worked with Belichick in Cleveland. And then as things progressed in my career, I thought that, you know, the, really the title of the book should be the bill of rights about my experiences with Walsh and Belichick. But the the, the publisher kind of thought it would be a better book if we talked about a lot of different things. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of how, so this book's been in my head for a while. 
So what did you ultimately decide? Who is the better all-time coach, Bill Walsh or Bill Belichick? They're both uh, listening, by the way. So that's uh, so no hard. That's yeah. so hard. Um, you know, they're they're both they're both different in their style, but the substance is the same. It's all about culture, Chase. It's all about how to build an organization with the culture first, that allows you to then acquire players that fit the culture, that allows you to build a team. And I think that that's really what they did. Most people think Walsh was about the West Coast offense, about you know, uh, what he did offensively when the reality of it is, is he was about his standard of excellence, his principles that he believed these 17 core principles that he believed as a leader, he needed to execute every single day. And that's ultimately we made him so successful. What do you think is the most important principle among the 17? Well, I mean, you know, there's so many of them there, but I think what Bill did is, and this book talks about the four areas of leadership that you must have to be able to create a culture. Most people think culture is created after winning or culture is created by who you draft. No, culture is created by the leader. And so if you can command the room and deliver a, a plan to everybody, that starts building a culture. If you can explain the plan, command of the message, then you can also gather followers because they understand where you're going. If you can command the process and give direction and handle criticism and not take the path of least resistance, then all of a sudden you're building more followers and the culture is all of a sudden coming into place. And then lastly, command of self. Are you willing to admit mistakes so curiosity throughout the organization takes shape and takes hold? So those four areas are, are really essential to building a culture, and both men do that very well. Okay. Uh, how many more books do we have on the horizon for you? Is this is it a one-and-done situation? or is I don't, I don't want it to be new? a one-and-done. You know, I mean, to okay. me, I'd like to have another book. I, I, I would like to write a book about the top 100 football players kind of a book similar to what Bill Simmons wrote, the book of football, uh, the book of mm -hmm. basketball. I would like to write a book of football that really talks about the games, the way I see the game's top 100, because there's guys in the Hall of Fame that had great careers. The, to me, there's two levels of the Hall of Fame. There's there's the elite level, and then there's guys at another level. And I think there's sometimes can get separated, and I think it needs to get clarified. So do you have like a top five in your head right now? Is there Of players? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's always a hard one. You know, when you look mm -hmm. at it, it's, you know, it's because the era of football is so dramatically different today than it was years ago. Right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, obviously Lawrence Taylor, I mean, he, if he's not in the mm -hmm. top five of the okay. players, you know, Jerry Rice is in the top five, just off the top of my head. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to end up being the top five players of all time. His career is mm -hmm. not over with, and certainly Brady with his five Super Bowls. So, you know, it's, it, it's really, you know, it's hard. It's, it's, you know, like anything in life, when you're picking, and you're making decisions, it can be very difficult. So you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I want to get your perspective on this. Um, you saw that uh, he got his hundred plus million in guarantees. Um, he even spoke um, very honestly about just like the leverage that NBA players were, that they have in negotiations versus NFL players. And he's obviously a very smart guy. And um, he only has one Super Bowl. And it seems like the conversation around Aaron Rodgers getting paid this week has been. Um, it's just, does he need to win another one to prove his worth and kind of submit his status? And I don't know if that's fair because I think anyone who watches the NFL every year, we all just kind of realize that Aaron Rodgers is just a freak of nature and is one of the best ever. And it's like, it, it's not been on him um, as to why he only has one Super Bowl ring. But uh, where are you at with Aaron Rodgers with the contract and his legacy uh, as of right now? Uh, you know, I, I think Aaron's tremendous, and I think it's unfair that he gets criticized for not winning more than one Super Bowl. I think the team around him hasn't always been the best team. I think the supporting cast, he's carried them. 
and that hasn't always been way you can win Super Bowls. I think he's been the straw that stirs the drink. And I think sometimes because of the way the Packers have procured talent in Green Bay with only using the college draft to get better, really makes it hard to be mm-hmm. a, a diverse team. And I think now with Brian Gutekist as the, as, the, as the general manager, they're trying different ways to add talent to the team. I think they're a better football team. I think they'll be more talented. And I think that'll help Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, I, I think sometimes – you get the blame for things as quarterbacks unfairly. And I think sometimes, look, last year people were talking about Dak Prescott not being a great player, and we've overvaluated Dak Prescott. And when reality is, is we sit here today on August the 30th, two of his best players, two of his star players, aren't even playing football this year, and Des Bryant and, uh, and Jason Witten. So for me, you know, sometimes the quarterback needs some guys to make some plays to help him. Yeah. Um, where are you at with the Eagles? You brought up the Cowboys because it seems like the Cowboys, everyone's sleeping on them and just a lack of talent around Dez, I mean, uh, Dak and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, we have a, <laughs> I think everybody's written off the Redskins and then you have the Giants who, um, they're, uh, we'll see. A lot of it comes down to what Eli is at this point and how much Pat Shermer can get out of him and how much Saquon Barkley can help and OBJ got paid and all that. But, um, do you think the Eagles are still in a prime position to run away with the NFC East, or do you think there is a chance that they fall back a little bit? I think you got to ask me that question in October because I think the Eagles are still going through their training camp. I think I think September for the Eagles is still going to be their training camp. I think when they're going, they're playing the AFC and the NFC South in September, and I think if they okay. get through that two and two, they have so many players, Chase, that aren't on the field right now. Whether it's Carson mm-hmm. Wentz, whether it's Jason Peters, Darren Sproles. You know, Alshon, Alshon Jeffrey. Jeffrey. I mean, yeah. There's so many guys that they don't have right now that I think it's going to take into September before we really know where they are as a football team and how they've improved and then where they are health wise. I think that's the key component. Last year, their depth was very good and it helped them through the season. But right now, they don't have that same similar depth. And I think it's partly because so many guys are hurt. So, you know, look, I think the East, I think why, I think. Dallas has a chance. I think defensively, if Randy Gregory is on the field and he can play, when mm-hmm. they get David Irving back, they have three blue chip players in their defensive front. They're really good guy, really good players. They can rush. They've got speed on defense, but Sean Lee's got to stay healthy. I think Jalen yeah. Smith's much improved. But offensively, I'm concerned because Elliott's great. Do they have a tight mm-hmm. end that can actually control the middle of the field? Rico Gaither's watch. It's still going on. I don't think he's going to make the team. And I think that the mm-hmm. reality here is is they're going to have to find somebody. Is it Alan Hearns on the outside? Who is going to make the plays on the outside for this team? And do they have a receiver that can get open? And I think that's the concern if I look at them. And then ultimately the other concern that I have is are they going to be make good decisions during the game and make the adjustments that they need to make during the game? And that's always been a concern for me with Dallas. Is there a team right now that you think just has the depth that you just look across the board that you're like, okay, they did a great job. This could be Eagles 2.0 just with how stacked they are on both sides of the ball. Well, I think Houston's a really good team only because they get so many okay. guys back. I mean, Houston's a good team. The, their offensive line has got to come together. Yeah. I think that's going to be a concern when you look at Houston. But for the most part, I mean, Houston's got a lot of things going for them right now as a team. And I think their quarterback is great. And I think he can be great. And they're going to have to get th- the Lions got to play way better than they did last year. They're all going to have Julian Davenport's going to have to play better at left tackle. It's all going to have to come together for them. 
but they've got enough weapons on offense. And then defensively, when you get Marcellus back, when you get Watt back, and you get you know some of these players back that they have in the back end, and then you add Ty- Tyrod Matthew and as a free safety, a guy who can make plays on the ball, I think you've got a really talented team. And I didn't even mention Clowney, and he's so good. Right. So I, I like Houston's team a lot. Okay. The AFC South, we've always made jokes about it, but it seems like this year it's going to be extremely competitive. Every team looks like they have a, sh- like they have a realistic shot of winning the division. Like if Andrew Luck's healthy and he's anywhere close to what he was two years ago, then they have a real shot. I mean, there's not a lot of talent there and it's really young and Chris Ballard's going through a long-term rebuild and they're not even uh, really able to stay healthy right now. But there are some intriguing pieces and uh, I think they're moving in the right direction. But uh, I mean, the Titans uh, with Mariota and like Matt LaFleur now running things, they're going to be more creative, interesting offense and the defense should be fine and i don't know i feel like the afc south is really up in the air and with marquise lee going down and blake bortles working with a lot less on the outside this year um i don't know i feel like there is a potential like nine and seven eight and eight for like all four teams in this division am i crazy for thinking that no because look i think jacksonville's you know look jacksonville's a a team that they can't they they have to play mistake free i mean they're they're really good on defense but the the question mark for jacksonville they got to play a certain style and if Blake Bortles plays like he did last week against Atlanta where he throws two interceptions and he's got a bunch of balls tipped, they're not going to beat teams. They're going to win those. They're not going to beat those, win those close games. And I think that's going to be an issue for them. And last year they were able to, you know, find a way to win some close games. But for the most part, really, when you look at Jacksonville, you know, they, they've got to play their style. They've got to be able to run the ball, play action pass, and their defense has got to get in front and play with the lead so they can utilize their skill set on defense, which is, you know, the great rushers that they have coming off the edge and also inside with Malik Jackson and Khalees Campbell. How does John Gruden do in year one in Oakland? Well, I think he's got the, you know, one of the easier schedules. He's going to, he's going to get the team better. I I think this is a nine and seven, eight and eight team out in Oakland. I really do. And I think he'll get them there. Is that enough to win the division? Because the AFC West, another one where it's like, it's hard to get a read because the Chargers obviously have the most talent, but injuries are already killing them and their questions with the coaching staff and all that. But like, um, is there a favorite for you in the AFC West? Is it Pat Mahomes? Are you a big Pat Mahomes believer? Is it Case Keenum leading Denver? Like, where are you at with the AFC West? I'm not a big believer in, in Denver right now. I'm okay. really not. I, I'm struggling with Case Keenum to be the starting quarterback. I think that's going to be a difficult, you know, I, I don't know how good they are on defense. Can they play good enough defensively uh, to win? I, I like Kansas City. I think Kansas City's defense isn't where it needs to be. They're going to have to rely on getting D. Forts gets pressure. They've got to get Justin Houston's got to play really well, and Mahomes got to has make plays. Their offense is very talented. Mahomes has got to be able to protect the football because that's what Alex Smith did better than anything. He was able to protect the football. So mm-hmm. you know, I think it's wide open there, and that's why I think they're all going to beat up on one another. And I'm not sure that there's a dominant team out there. If you could have your pick and you could be GM of any team in the NFL right now, which job would you take and why? Well, I've always believed that if you were a GM of a team that played in a dome, I think playing in a dome is, is gives you a unique advantage. And hmm. so when you have, when you, especially when you build a defense, because the defense allow you know, in a dome, you have great crowd noise. And so you have the ability to win the line of scrimmage just because the fans are so loud and it's hard to play in there. So when you look at that and, and you build a big physical football team that plays indoors with crowd noise, I think that's always going to be the Falcons, the, the Vikings, the Colts. Those stadiums can get really loud. It Seattle, deafening. And as a GM, that makes your job a little bit easier because you know eight games a year you're going to be able to win the line of scrimmage 
just because the crowd's so loud. And if you have a big physical football team that can control the line of scrimmage and you have an offense that can get the lead and force them to play from behind, that's a great combination. I have the Steelers and the Vikings in the Super Bowl right now. Am I crazy? Well, no, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, I don't think anybody can predict. Look, I think it's Houston and Green Bay. How's that? And I don't and okay. you might think I'm crazy. Houston. All right. Year two, Deshaun, I, going to the Super Bowl. I, I think it's going to be so hard. I think injuries is going to play such a huge factor. Pittsburgh's got to prove they're better on defense. You know, we know mm. they're going to be good on offense, but they got to prove they got to be better on defense. And look, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins comes into a great situation. Last year, he threw 232 passes when he was behind in games. You know, that's mm-hmm. not what's going to happen in Minnesota. Minnesota's going right. to get the lead. They're going to play good defense, and they're going to let Cousins play from in front. He's a much better mm-hmm. quarterback when he can get the lead and play from in front. Last year, Washington had so many injuries in their defense, they always seem to fall behind early. That's a key stat in football, Chase, is the most important stat in football is first-half point differential. How many points you score, how many points you allow compared to everybody else. Last year, the Philadelphia Eagles were the second-best team in that category. The Patriots were number one. The year before that, the Atlanta Falcons were number two, and the Patriots were number one. That's really that's really what's most important is play from in front. Okay. Last thing, and then we'll go real quick. Um, what are you most excited about this season? Is there a storyline in particular that you're really monitoring and you're excited to keep up with all this fall? Yeah, I, I'd like to change the narrative of the NFL. We're about to enter into an arms race in the NFL. There's a lot mm-hmm. of great young quarterbacks in this NFL. Yeah. And I think we're not giving them enough attention. They're not getting, you know, there's a lot of other recurring themes that are going on. There's some really bad backup quarterbacks, but I think we're about to enter an era of the NFL where it's going to be fun to watch Jimmy Garoppolo, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson. I mean, you name it. There's Andrew Luck's back. Uh, we got the, you know, Marcus Mariota might take a giant step forward and he's back, uh, you know, and so there's so many good young arms in the league, whether Trubisky can be one of them. Aaron Rodgers is back, coming back to play. You know, we see Cousins over there. I think it's a great time to watch the NFL right now. Okay. Michael Lombardi, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Chase. I appreciate you having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes, and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.